Hello. We here at Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers were saddened to learn of the passing of the great David Bowie. To coincide with his 69th birthday, and to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the 1986 film he did with Jim Henson, we recorded a podcast very early Sunday morning on the cult classic Labyrinth. It was only later that evening did we learn of the iconic artist's passing after an 18-month-long battle with cancer. We would like to extend our condolences out to his family, friends, and fans, and wanted to pay tribute to him by releasing this podcast that celebrates one of his seminal bodies of work, which has become a cult classic loved by all ages. It is with this that we forego our usual format and give you our podcast on 1986's Labyrinth. Rest in peace, Mr. Bowie. It's late. It's we're very in late. our parents' basement. Yeah, we're in we're in their bedroom and they're sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only outlet that works. Both of our parents are sleeping in the same room. Yes, it gets complicated. Now we're not in, we're not in the exact room. We're in the basement. You know, it's a it's a two it's a two ply effect, almost like a <laughs> toilet paper. Because we tell them that we have a studio in Manhattan on Sixth Avenue, but then. <laughs> It's, we're transported then into our parents. It's the uh, magic of radio. It's in the magic radio. of radio. It's of the, the old ma- digital radio. Theater of the mind. Theater of the mind, which people don't really have anymore, sadly. Um, do you find this time of year depressing? We've, we brought it up a while ago. You said you get to March and it gets depressing. Yeah, March was always bad. Well, I'm thinking, you know, that was always like when you were in school. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nowadays, March isn't that bad. But <laughs> back when you were in school, it was like you'd come off the holidays... And then there were like, uh, yeah, you have like you'd have a like the the February vacation. Yeah, well, there would be like you know Martin Luther King Day. You yeah, know, they would have President's have, Day. Yeah, you'd have like weekend long weekends. But then you get to March, and it's like thirty-one days of yeah. cool. And I, we were in the Northeast, so it was like thirty-one k- days of like yeah. snow. <laughs> yeah. At school, and there's nothing you can do. And we had a couple blizzards break. around that time too. We, I remember we had a big blizzard like in the mid '90s. Uh, some, uh, you know, three feet of snow in March or whatever on yeah, my birthday. Before. I remember it always seemed like there was, like, one big storm in the in March. Always, like, the last, like, F you. <laughs> Fuck you, people. Yeah. It's, uh, what's his name? The f- Mr. Frost? Uh, f- Jack Frost? is like, ah, <laughs> Before I'm all. done for the yeah. year, I'm just going to shit this all over. <laughs> it's, I'm pelting it out. I find it sad now because people are so into Christmas. And then as soon as that holiday's over, you know, December 25th, or the de- December 26th, people are taking that stuff down. Like it's like, and they, they really just kick Christmas out like it's a drunken neighbor. You well, know? my building, uh, my building, I moved into a new building a year ago. And uh, it's a nice building. I like it. It's closer to things, blah, blah, blah. Happy, we, happy I moved. But it's like, you know. It's they, they rule with an iron fist in that building. In the elevator, that's like, after January tw- 10th, everything must be taken down off your door. If it's not... If it's not done, if it's not off your door by January 11th, the cleaning crew is going to take it down. And throw so if you have like a reef or something, <laughs> yeah. Jesus, it's like man, wow, <laughs> sticklers, <laughs> ease up. 
Come on. <laughs> take these old people to read stuff <laughs> their door and throw it out. It's, but I've had that in the family <laughs> for 50 years. I just forgot to do it yesterday. I haven't been taking my meds. <laughs> I'm a little forget. My husband just died. <laughs> I'm going through it. I mean, I don't care. We told you it was in the elevator. I'm sorry, but I haven't left the house. Holidays are very hard for me. <laughs> it's very depressing. <laughs> like most people, they knock on the door, take it off, and like burn it in a trash can in front of them. Yeah, this is what you get. <laughs> don't you see? This is what you get. You sons of <laughs> you must listen. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've just been forgetting things lately. I don't know where I parked my car. Because uh, I, I walk down the street and all I see, you just see death. You see these poor little sad Christmas trees that are just thrown to the curb and they're just like still trying to, I'm still Christmas. I'm still trying to be Christmassy. And people just don't, you know, people don't want nothing to do with Christmas. It's just like the quickest thing, you oh, know. I don't remember the name. Maybe we can find it. I, I, f- I feel like we need like a, like a, like almost like a detox. Like s- you slowly separate from it, you know, because I, I didn't realize with the 12 days of Christmas, that starts December 25th. No, that starts the 26th is the 12 days of Christmas, which is insane so it goes 12 days so the last day is january the 6th and that's when supposedly you're supposed to like take your stuff down it's not the 12 days leading up to no, christmas it's, it's the not 12 days yeah after i thought it'd be leading to christmas i don't understand it it's like well who the hell devised that i'm confused <laughs> i can see that you know because it's like after then you're getting it's almost like hanukkah you're getting a, you're getting like three you know Shitting birds, in a, <laughs> three shitting birds <laughs> in a partridge. <laughs> no, you're getting it every day. It's like Jesus. It's New Year's. I don't want another present. You know, January the third. You're like, I, I, come on, Christmas is over. So I, I find it really like a sad time. And then there's some people who keep it up, and they're just like, that's how I kind of am. Like, fuck you, we're gonna keep it up as long as I can. <laughs> you know, and then you just at night you still see people have their lights up, and some people it's almost like then it becomes taboo. Like, who the why isn't why aren't the uh, lynchers taking down their fucking. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, what the hell is wrong? He still has this. Lenchner actually has, he sent me a picture. I didn't mean to bring him up because we have a friend <laughs> like that. It was the first name that came in. But uh, he has, a, they have a Christmas tree. I mean, he's Jewish. But yeah. He has a Christmas tree. Odd, uh, but what can you well, do? Well, I think his, oh, his, his mate. Yeah. Isn't? And he, it's still up. He's They're living still rocking it. Yeah. Well, it's good. I mean, you know, I, I took mine down yesterday. Well, I mean, I, my wife took the, the ornaments off the course of the week. We have a fake one because we live in an apartment, so yeah, it's kind of yeah. hard to get like a real one. I mean, it's not, but it's just a trouble. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, and I mean, I completely support a real tree. But, uh, you know, I had to take the damn thing apart yesterday, and it's all. And then trying to get that thing back in a box, it's like, who, who the hell packs that thing? <laughs> you know? It's like a pu- jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, it's like origami. You like, pack it once, and it's only made to be packed once. And you get to think of those poor bastards in, like, China who are packing that thing every day. Well, you know, have it down to a science. That's their job. They're packing stuff. You know, it's 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 crazy. But then ER, January, we're here. Uh, it's the first one. This is the season opener. This is the first of 2016. Yeah, we're kicking in the season with like a double header here. You Who know, would have thought 2016. We started this back in 1905. <laughs> Well, we met in 1997. We met in 1997. Though we felt like we've known each other for years, and. Uh, so we're coming up on an anniversary of ours of 1997. Oh, next year. Next year is going to be a big. That's crazy. We'll have to have a big blowout. That means we went to college 20 years ago. That's fucking insane. That I means no, even that was. That means we graduated high school 20 years ago. Word. We're those dudes, you know. I'm still thinking. I'm still thinking. It's like 2000, 2001. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you, you'll refer to things, and you're like, well, you know. 
you know, they want a, a young perspective or something. And I'll be like, damn, we're not young anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I guess not. It's so surreal. And then like, everything, it just, you know, I, I've gotten to the point now where my body's starting to creak. Have I said that? We've talked about this before. You know, you get to a certain age where it's like, you can do whatever you want. Like, remember in, in, in school, we went to film school. We used to be all physical. Remember, I got hit by a car half a dozen times yeah. for somebody's film. Uh, you and I, you know, we, we, you did a freaking uh, karate kung fu uh, thing for the uh, Project Greenlight. You know, so we were like, we were physical guys. That's all gone downhill now. Yeah, yeah. Like, I decided... You know, New Year's resolution. I'm going to try to get better shape, but I don't have the money to spend on, or time really to spend at a gym. So I was like, I live on the 39th floor. Like, I'll walk down the stairs. I thought, you know, I'm going to rappel down. You know, so I was like, oh, I'll walk down the stairs. And walking down is not quite as bad as, you know, walking up. Yeah, not at all. But you get down to like the 10th floor, and you're not running down the stairs. You know, you're taking your time. So you're dealing with resistance and all that. I did it two days in a row. I couldn't walk for like four days. You get the, your shins <laughs> this is were the, starting This is the first time I was able to like really walk and get off the couch. And it's like, Ugh. That's when I saw you walking up the street. You were kind of waddly. You're like, oh. Yeah, it's tough getting, getting. And you always say, like, I'm going to get into shape. And I've never been a guy that really needed to exercise now. But everything's just starting to fail. You know, creaking. You know, I hurt my back. And it's like, why is stuff starting to hurt? What are you talking about? And. And then there's those dudes who are like, you know, that's all they do is they work out. And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't have the time nor this, you know. It's, it's, it's tough, especially in the kind of business that we're in. There's a lot of long hours. And... But, you know, people, you look at, like, people who have, like, four kids and they're single parents and then they have two jobs and they're able to find the time to do everything. And I feel bad. I'm like, well, I can't find the time to, you know, go sit on, a, well, like, a exercise bike for... <laughs> You know, if half I had hour. room in a, in a tiny apartment for like an exercise bike, it would be a. a you good say that, and then I went and got the fucking thing, and then it just sits there, and you're like, "Oh, that's great! I'm gonna get to that thing one of these days." No. You know, it's like half the battle. It's like you know, fifty percent there is getting the thing, but then there's that other big fifty percent of getting the motivation. You know, I've never been a guy to have stick to like uh, ritual and doing stuff over and over again. I hate repetition. You know, that's why maybe I never really learned an instrument. You know, I tried to learn a saxophone, and that was just tough. I hate that to this day that the wooden wreath. <laughs> oh, disgusting. My my music teacher in fourth grade, I remember like, you know, fourth grade was the grade where you you, know, you can play an instrument and you know he's like, What do you want to play? And I was like, I want to play something brass. And he's like, uh, trumpet or saxophone. I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, Here, and he gave me a, the mouthpiece of a trumpet, he gave me the mouthpiece of a saxophone. And I tra- he's like, put this in your mouth, try to blow. And I was, you know, and you have to do your lips a certain way for a trumpet. So I was like, <laughs> he's like, do this one. He's like, all right, you're playing the saxophone. I was like, well. and to this day, it still skis me out like lollipop sticks. Oh, <laughs> anything that would. Oh, disgusting. And we have a friend of ours who's like a you know professional jazz saxophone player. And I, I say to him all the time, like, I can't, you know, he, he keeps his reeds in water and oh, it's just it's disgusting. You know, it wasn't for you. Splinters. It's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, who knows what could happen? So, uh, 2016. 2016. We're kicking the door in with a, with a with a uh, with a with a pretty big movie. Um, well, before we get to this movie, yeah, which I think there's a little bit of a, you know, it could be a little bit of a, a lead-in in that I recently saw a documentary called Fanarchy. Okay, never heard of it. It was on Epics or Stars or one of those. Check it out. I mean, it's one of those documentaries that's. Uh, it, it cover it gets a little bit too wide. The cassettes would net a little bit too wide, maybe for its own good. But it starts off. It's mostly about like fan films, 
Oh, okay. And uh, then it talks a lot about like geek culture and pop, you know, and you know, Comic Con and stuff like that. And uh, it, it's kind of interesting. It shows a lot of clips of that, like infamous, that like legendary uh, the Indiana the... Jones, oh. the adaptation, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the adaptation, which was like two kids and uh, a bunch of kids in Mississippi. One kid loved Indiana Jones. He's like, let's remake Raiders of the Lost Ark. Is that the one that they he play does it in shot the... for shot? But they do it over like seven summers in chronological order, so you see them get older. <laughs> Is that the one that they play in? Um, what, uh, the People versus George Lucas. Is that the one where, like where they're in the basement and then they're doing the, the scene in the, the bar and they light themselves yeah, on yeah, fire? Yeah. That's insane. I do know that movie, but uh, it was kind of interesting. And I was wondering about. Uh, I noticed in kind of. Uh, researching for this movie that there's a very we're, today we're doing Labyrinth yeah celebrating a 30th anniversary 1986 yeah one for the ladies shout out <laughs> shout out to the girls yeah evidently it's a huge woman's film but yeah I noticed like on YouTube there's like a lot of like people have taken recent more recent footage of like Jennifer Connelly and David Bowie and do like you know Labyrinth 2 trailers you know fan trailers oh wow okay so I was wondering about uh, the idea of fan films. Yeah. And uh, if there's anybody out there that makes fan films. Because I, I think they should send them to us because we'll <laughs> I'd love to take a look at them. I, it, it seems to be a bustling industry because we, uh, I mean, growing up, you and I, independently, we did like fan films to a certain extent. Like you go see a movie and then you try to make a movie with your friend with the camcorder. Yeah, yeah. And then when we got out of college, I think the first fan film I really saw was the Batman one, like The Dead End. Which is very good. Yeah. And then now I must have slept on it uh, because now when I get back, I, like a month or two ago, I, I went to YouTube and I tried to Google Batman. And you, it's become like a cottage industry for people to just make fan films for stuff. Like I saw the one, the, did you see the Mortal Kombat one? I don't know if I've seen that. They one. made a Mortal Kombat one with, um, what's his face from, um, who I love from Black Dynamite, who's also in um, Spawn. Okay. You know, uh, Michael White, Michael uh, something White, maybe? I don't know. He's a martial arts guy. I know the you know? guy you're talking about, but I don't yeah. know his name. He's in it, and another girl was very famous in it, and they did a, uh, you know, a, a, a Mortal Kombat to try to get money to do, you know, and I think that that director might be well-known, and I'm forgetting his name, and that got him to do something else, and he, he went on to do, say, like, Guardians of the Galaxy, say, or something, like, huge. Yeah. So it's like there's... I, I always found it really hard to pitch that to somebody that you're going to spend, like, say... Ten or twenty thousand dollars on a three-minute film, yeah. That you may never do anything else with, like that Batman Dead End we saw is phenomenal. I mean, spoiler yeah. alert: like aliens, predators show well, up. Well, it was made by a guy who was like part of Stan Winston's team. Oh, so he just had access to everything, as opposed to like renting stuff. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, it is like it's become like its own industry in a way, and now with things like Kickstarter. And Indiegogo, like you can raise money from fans. I've I mean, seen some pretty crazy ones. Like, did you see the Wolverine one with the guys? There's, there's one like in by they're like on a log, uh, logging. You know, people do like to cut the trees down. There's some, you know, and they're like great special effects. They're using really automatic weapons, so it's like there's really like a, a layer. Of perfect. It's it's a it's a long cry, far cry from us in our parents' basement <laughs> yeah, with our camcorder. With our camcorder. You know, yeah. these guys have, like, you know, professional, you know, guys on set with fake rifles. They have real machine guns shooting blanks, and it's like, you know, we're in the, our parents' basement wearing my dad's Indiana Jones hat, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
I just thought it was it was interesting. I thought I'd give it a shout. Yeah, you out. know, if anybody, I was has curious. Any. Everybody's got any fan? Yeah, email films. us. Email us a link. I mean, I mean, you could send us email us, and we'll give you an address if you want to send it to us. But if I guess nowadays everyone's tech savvy. If you have it online, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. message us on the Facebook. We'll page share or it. Whatever. That'd be great. We'll say, hey, look, um, Joe Blow has made a film, and we're gonna, you know. Do it here. Maybe we can even make that a series if people. It feel seems like, like a really. I mean, it seems like a cool. There was that Thomas Jane one last year. Oh, the Punisher one. Yeah, um, that was great. That it, was. It's become than a the, way that people no. try to get recognized. And then somebody was asking me, like, "Well, why don't you they just do something original to get recognized?" I was like, "We, everything in such a tech age, it's so much easier to get like a million people to watch something about Batman." Yeah than it is to get somebody to watch some like thing they never heard of. It's a weird dichotomy now that the world we live in where um, you have, uh, you know, as hard as it was in the old days to make a movie, then once you made it, it was really hard then to get exposure for it, where nowadays it's fairly easy to make a movie to a certain extent of what you're doing, but then you have this YouTube, which is free advertising. I mean, look at those... I guess it's going on 10 years ago. Remember that the, these, these two kids did like a rap on uh, Chicken McNuggets? And it caught on like wildfire, and like McDonald's paid him a million dollars to go make a film. And you know, I think the same thing happened with the Super Size Me guy. You know, he made some sort of film, and then like you know, uh, they somebody liked it, and you know, and it's always now. I mean, too, if you want to make like a say a uh, uh, a narrative, a fictional narrative, a lot of times what they'll tell you to do is you know, if you have a script, shoot a scene or two from it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just recently met those, you know that documentary that's like spreading like wildfire on Netflix, The Making a Murderer? Mm-hmm. I met the two women who did that documentary, and I, you know, and I was talking to them about like, hey, how the hell did you pitch it to Netflix? And they said, well, actually, you know, we had four episodes shot already, so we just went to them, and then they're like, shoot, they greenlit it, and they gave them yeah. the rest of the money. So I guess a lot of it is you got to take that step and put a lot of your own money in and then have something done fairly well and then you can shop it around and you know yeah yeah well so. i mean i mean imagine there's so many being done now i imagine it's not uh it doesn't work out for most people but there are people like in the interv- in the documentary they interview these these this woman and they don't interview her partner so i don't know who her partner is but they made like some fake trailer for i guess it's a comic book called the uh, elf quest maybe okay i didn't really know i don't know what it is but um they contacted the people that created the comic book and they're like well you know what is it they showed them some stuff and they're like look you know i don't know what studio say paramount owns the rights the film rights so like you can't really make one, but if there's a fan film for the online, like go for it. It seems like it's going to be awesome. And then <clears throat> the film rights came back. Paramount never renewed them. And the people that created the comic book liked what these other people did. They called them and they said, look, the film rights are up. If you have the money, you can buy them. And they bought the, the film and television rights for ElfQuest. <laughs> wow. Just because the, the people that created the, the comic book really liked them knew that they were big fans and liked the trailer that they made. That's like the um, in the eighties. Remember, we just talked about the guys buying the Spider-Man rights and the for Marvel when Marvel wasn't doing very well in the in the movie industry side of things. Yeah, and uh, what was it? Tristar who owned the uh, Canon? Canon, yeah. Off the off the Invasion USA cast and such. Yeah, they had the rights and like it's crazy. It's a far cry from what we used to make now. You know, and uh, Foreman had the rights to the Fantastic uh, Four. Yeah, and it's. Uh, it's it's yeah it's become an industry upon itself. I mean, you remember like I guess like also going on ten years ago now, they had uh, I think Star Trek that that's Paramount, isn't it? I believe so. Yes, they're they've always been notoriously uh, very 
easygoing about people using Star Trek. They never, as long as you're not profiting off of it, we don't care. Do what the hell you want. You know, we'll even, you know, actively support it. And, uh, Remember, there was that whole, I think they're still doing it. And I think it was upstate New York or something like that. Yeah. Those dudes were doing like the further adventures of like, there's the another, season. and there's a whole other group of people that are in the document, this documentary, Fanarchy, that do it. And they built the entire soundstage. It looks great down in these suits. And I mean, it's yeah, just. Yeah, it's a different crew. So there's two competing <laughs> further oh, adventures of the, the original Android. series yeah. as well. I mean, how crazy. It'd be cool if, you know, the next generation. It's just so. Uh, it's so weird. And, you know, I would love to see if someone would do, like, Muppet fan. How would you do a Muppet fan film? I mean, for a while, you have, like... um Well, I don't know. See, that's the thing. Disney... Now that Disney... Oh, yeah, Disney owns everything. Real. That's, they make a big point about it in the, this documentary, which is, like, Disney profited off of public domain with all those fairy tales and everything. And oh. then the minute, like, <clears throat> Steamboat Willie or whatever was going to become public domain, like, they had the copyright laws changed wow. so that nobody could take Steamboat Willie. That's so, interesting. <clears throat> so now, whereas Lucas has always been very supportive of fan stuff, as long as it's parody, yeah, um, it's going to be interesting to see if it continues, whether Disney's going to put, you know... Put their foot down and be like, yeah. no, cease and desist. I mean, remember that real fun one from, I keep saying it from like 10 years ago, it seems... Th- there was the stormtroopers on the on Tatooine. It was like cops. Yeah, well, they <laughs> cite know, like that, that as being like the first, the original, the, in this documentary. Oh, for they, that era? or they, they, As in. the original viral video. Oh, really? Like that was the first thing that really got around and everybody was like, look at this thing. And then like they... It's it's got it's like legendary in the art in like the field of like uh, viral videos and fan movies. It's almost one. like that kid that might have been in the uh, People vs George Lucas, the kid who um, I think it gets it got leaked somehow. The kid playing with the lightsaber, remember he was oh, like a heavy yeah, set yeah. kid, and then he, they they put him in everything else. He's doing the Matrix, he's doing Star Wars, he's doing this, and then. Uh, you know, he got bullied and then he sued and he won the lawsuit and he got a shitload of money and that's become kind of notorious. That's uh, so weird just to think of that. Now it's like, it's so grown up from the sense of when we were little, just like grab your parents' video camera and grab their clothes and you're going to try to make a shitty, you know, I'm going to make the Terminator. Or, or, yeah, you know, we never really, me and my friends never did like, uh, the only thing we ever did, and it's it's almost embarrassing, but I'll, I'm willing to, since we're all friends here. Yeah. We made original movies. Yeah. I mean, they were all maybe based on something, but, uh, you know, inspired by something, but they were all like original stories. The only thing we ever did, and I don't remember why we did it, and it was so bad because there was no girls, is we did like a weird remake of The Breakfast Club, like at a sleepover. <laughs> it was all just night, dudes. Like, in, my, in my living room. <laughs> and it was so stupid. And, and uh, who'd you have to play the principal? I don't remember. I think my friend Pete played the principal. Like oh. I had like an old suit like up in my room, and he he pulled like the collar out and he came in. And it was you know we would always play multiple roles, but it was so stupid because it was just a bunch of dudes sitting in a living room. Yeah, uh, embarrassing. Well, you and I made some stuff, and then uh, in college, that was what we were doing on our free time. We make fan yeah, stuff. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't really fan stuff. We did original. No, I. Stories. That's what I mean. We all did original stories, but it was like. Stuff to do when we didn't, you know, have and a lot of that gets quoted here. Yeah, like you'll never yeah. know because you've never seen yeah. it. <laughs> that's how. That's how uh, every time ridiculous hear, we are. Every time you hear us go, Emilio Estevez. Ow! Yeah, we're quoting ourselves. We're now, and we're now letting like, you. We're now letting you know that that's from a movie that we made 
almost 20 years ago. Called Twinkle Rainbow. I wonder if we could put that up online. If that's <coughs> it actually home. is online. It is? We should put uh, a link to it on the... Uh, if, and no one's going to go look at it, so we'll, we'll, we'll put a link up to Twinkle Rainbow because there's no copyright infringement there. I mean, there's music in it. Yeah, but it's, we're not it's trying. Black Sabbath through the soundtrack. Yeah. They, actually, they, they came lot, in and actually, <laughs> now it's that remastered version that I did where I put in a shitload of music. Oh. So the soundtrack is done by a lot of people. John Carpenter, it's Jay pr- Chataway. It's pretty... Um, <laughs> you peppered it Joseph LaDuca. So yeah, we did that. That was our our kind of that was the first one, our pinnacle. But anyway, I just thought it was an interesting documentary. It was worth mentioning. I was curious if there's anybody that listens to this show that does fan films because I was curious to see them. Yeah, and uh, I know that this film that we're doing, we're discussing tonight, is uh, is a is a big fan movie. It's a cult following. Yeah, big deal. It's 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 kind of disappointing that when it came out, it kind of didn't get the best reviews, and it kind of didn't do. Well, and then it kind of put a real it like funk reportedly on. cost like twenty five million dollars to make. It grossed just over thirteen, or just un, just over thirteen. No, just under thirteen. Yeah, so it was like twelve something um, domestically, and it was considered a big flop. It was very mixed uh, critically, and reportedly from his son, like it put Jim Henson in a big funk. Yeah, you get depressed. It kind of demoralized them, and that was the last um, uh, feature length film he directed that was feature length uh and that's 86 he passed away in 1990 and uh it's kind of sad it's 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 uh because now it's regarded as a cult classic yeah. and it's uh you know and <laughs> some people say because of the you know ridley scott's legend came out the year before in 85 then legend you know it starts with an l labyrinth starts with an l some people maybe <laughs> the book you know, fantasy yeah and some people <clears throat> you know it i mean they're similar in that kind of flop legend kind of you know when that kind of came out, that kind of flopped. It was you an know? interesting time. So the mid '80s. You know, we've talked a lot about 1984 being yeah. a hell of a year. Yeah. Um, then '85. We did Gremlins. Then... We talked about uh, it a lot. Oh, we did a whole bunch of. Uh, yeah. Um, we talked about Indiana. You know, <clears throat> Temple of Doom, and but uh, you know, Dark Crystal. It was just a very weird time for. Movies. That's a very heavy movie, Dark Crystal, because <coughs> uh, it's all puppets. There's not one like human actor in it, yeah. and it's all very serious. Unlike the Muppet Show and like Sesame Street and stuff that Hanson had done before, like the Muppet Movie, uh, there's no comedy in it, so it's very heavy-handed. And I, I guess he didn't. It was more heavy-handed than he they kind of intended, but uh, that seemed to have done well. But then I got when I was reading. It's like I got mixed reports. It was a financial success and it got critical acclaim, but some people didn't like it. So maybe people, the our audience, audience who he had with the Muppet Show and with Sesame Street, maybe didn't like it for their kids because I remember that movie scared the shit out of me growing up. You know? Yeah. Well, when we did, even your lead actor, who's like the uh, he looks like a elf, he's kind of freaky looking. Yeah, yeah. You know? So it's like, how do you identify with that dude? <laughs> Well, that and when we did, uh, there was a time there where we would do blog posts, uh, and we'll hopefully get back to it at some point. But when we did Transformers, yeah, which was last year, that kicked off the the, the season twenty fifteen. That was our that was our season we opener. Did Transformers the movie. Then and we in, in the middle of it, we got so heated, we were like, "Let's do GI Joe the movie," <laughs> and we did a double header. Um, but we talked about how fucked up that movie was, and uh, eighty six as well. So there was we did there's a we did a blog post right after that. I think it was just like more fucked up movies from the eighties, fucked yeah. up moments for kids. And I think Dark Crystal <laughs> makes that make, yeah. made that list. I mean, there's a Our lot five of five for five. 
there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in Dark Crystal, and I don't. I, it's been so long since I've seen it. I mean, it takes place like in another land, and it's you know, it's very, it, it's firmly footed in the realm of fantasy. But there's all those crazy, um, you know, uh, vulture pe- guy, and they all have those <coughs> weird ways of talking and and how they look and how they walk, and you know, and it's all very, it's all yeah. very freaky, and it's it's very off putting to try to have a child sit down and. Even this movie parts, I was talking to people, and women seem to love this movie. And then when, while we watched it, I can kind of see why, because there's really, you know, the, there's a female lead, and she goes on a kind of like a, an adventure, which is like a fairy tale adventure. She yeah. kind of suits herself as like a, a, um, a princess, maybe in a fairy tale kind yeah. of a, a story. And then certain aspects of it, it does get kind of freaky at parts in this movie, like when she's encountering those those dudes who, I forget their names, who like, can detach themselves and they're all yeah, moving yeah. around and they want to detach her head and that's kind of freaky. And then, yeah, you there's know. a lot of weird stuff. I mean, the fact that the first time she meets Hoggle, yeah, he's taking a leak. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, kind of weird. And then he's got. <coughs> then right afterward, he, and he he you know he, he's got the, uh, the 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 shit and then he's spraying around. He's killing little fairies, you know that are you know, and it's it's all really well done. But hey, uh, good night, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> We'll be seeing you soon. Thanks for listening. Uh, so this is Jim Henson's Labyrinth from 1986. Uh, it's got a lot of good people on it. David Bowie, Jennifer Connelly, um, and a lot of the his seasoned uh, puppeteers that he has. You know, like Kevin Clash is like it's one of his first things. He did theatrically with him. Frank Oz, uh, Stephen Whitmore, his son Brian Henson. Um, what's his name who plays Gonzo? Uh, David Rolfer, I think his name is. Uh, you have a lot, a lot of people in here, and then uh, he brought George Lucas with him because he just did Empire Strikes Back. And I was uh, watching some stuff, and they were interviewing also Terry Jones from um, Mighty Python, Mighty Python, who did the first because they wanted it because of how heavy-handed we just said that the uh, uh, Dark Crystal was. They said, you know, why don't we try to keep this one serious, but interject some kind of comedy that the Muppet Show was known for, and maybe yeah. we can have it appeal to everybody, kids and adults, the same. So he was talking about him, his his first experience, Terry Jones's, is, of seeing Empire Strikes Back, and no one realizing how they did Yoda. And I'm, I was trying to now put on, like we always talk about, put on like our our um, our old school hats yeah, and yeah. go back in time and, and try to think like... Well, there was a huge worry when they did... Empire. Empire Strikes Back. They were like, is this going to work? Yeah. Like, can we have a major character in a movie? Be a puppet. Be a puppet. And they they wanted... Uh, at first, there, I guess they were thinking of casting like a little person, and then I guess they must have... You know, Lucas was talking to, to Henson. Henson's like, why don't we just try to... I'll give you Frank Oz, and, you know, <laughs> he can he can do his magic. And he didn't. And it's crazy to think at the time, you know, uh, how Henson kind of pioneered the i guess you could say the the evolution of the puppetry because prior to this you had for general purpose you had basically you had marionettes to a certain extent you did have puppets but they they didn't look they're almost like not sock puppets but they were nothing near what Henson was doing yeah yeah you have like uh, what's her name Jerry Anderson from Shirley Sherry Lewis Sherry Lewis and was that her name with lamb chop yeah she was doing stuff you had um What's his face? Bob Clampett, the animator, doing the uh, Ces- Cecil. The, remember the sea serpent one? Yeah. That was puppetry. And then you have Jerry Anderson in Britain doing uh, Thunderbirds in the early 60s. And the, that's Marionetta Vision. That really pioneered. Thunderbirds are great. And that was a whole different other era of, of puppetry. And then you get Henson, who comes on the scene. He... Uh, 
born in Mississippi in 36. He goes to high school in high school, and then into college. He does this little short. He starts doing puppets. He says a big influence for him is Eg- Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy. People know, um, uh, what's her face, Candace Bergen's father. Yeah, he's a ventriloquist. He's a ventriloquist. Very, and it's, 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 he was huge, uh, Edgar Bergen and, and his, his, his puppet, Charlie McCarthy. And what's really funny is that he's so huge at the time he gets a radio show. <laughs> so it's a, you think of how many years his radio show ran, where it's you're on the radio, you're just listening to him doing Edgar Bergen, and you know him and Charlie McCarthy. You don't see anything, yeah. you know. So Hanson says he was influenced, of course, by him. And then when he gets into college, he does this little short called uh, Sam and Friends. It's a five minute sketch comedy thing. And then I guess when he gets out of college, he starts getting into advertising, and for like. I guess 15 years or so, you think about it. He, he was doing advertisements for coffee and various other products, and they were very, very well received, and he had a niche in the advertising business through the 60s. And he did. Uh, he, he got on uh, a couple shows. He was like on Ed Sullivan, the Merv Griffith Show, and then uh, in the early 70s, they, they uh, kind of uh, get him. They ask him to uh, do um, Sesame Street, the children's workshop. So they had, you know. He, now I had always heard, <clears throat> and I always thought it was like a good lesson for people that want to kind of try to make it in this industry is that you find a niche and you try to fill that niche. Which yeah. is, I had heard that like he really didn't care about puppets that much. I mean, he had an interest in them, obviously, a little bit, but he wanted to make it in a t- totally different kind of way. But he saw that there was like this lack of puppetry and was like, I can fill that even though that really wasn't his main goal. Yeah. And then it just became his whole life. <laughs> but but originally, like, he was like, there's this kind of hole that can be filled, and I know enough and I can learn enough to fill this hole. It's crazy, and then he just exploited it. I mean, he met his wife, Jan Neville, at the time, um, and then the two of them got together, and they became, like, the creative team to do all these kind of advertising things. And, um, you know, he started developing these, these, these puppets that were different. He was making them... Uh, more camera friendly and he was he, he wanted to in, in, inject some life and sense of uh, sensitivity into him so he was using them out of like uh, uh, flexible fabrics and rubber so that they can express more emotions and, and stuff like that and then when he got to New York he moved to New York uh, they have uh, five kids I think it is um, him and his wife so she kind of retires out of the business and says I want to raise the kids so that's when he finds Frank Oz and Frank Oz kind of takes over and then they become this partnership with another gentleman who is a uh, the writer with them um and they end up uh doing this whole you know uh thing that lasts like 40 years you know and and it, i guess it's all like you say it's like very serendipitous where it's like there's these situations you get in and it's luck where the uh children's workshop in new york is gets a grant and they want to do a new children's program so they ask him to help so he's like okay i have an idea we can do a kind of puppet thing and they do sesame street but the first thing is they're kind of just doing all puppets and uh, then the live action actors are separate. And in the first, they did a test screening of that, like on local TV, and people didn't really like that. So they revamped the show, Sesame Street, and they say, why don't we have the puppets interact with the, with the live action hum- uh, actors? And I think that's clutch because even going back to him doing a lot of the uh, appearances on, like, um, you know, the Ed Sullivan or all those late night talk shows, it's very cool when you see the puppets interacting with. Uh, a real person, yeah, you know, and then a lot of f- things people forget too is the first season of Saturday Night Live. Yeah, he was on. He did like eleven sketches for Saturday Night Live, and I completely never knew that until a couple of years ago. And uh, I think they just released some of that, like on a Jim Henson special edition. But I guess the 
then that was kind of see you know it's it's Henson casting his net rather wide to try to get everybody so I, I went into the spectrum yeah, I mean I don't doing, think he ever really wanted his goal was never to do like children's no, program <laughs> you know but at the same time it's not like he's trying to do like nasty like kind of like uh you know, R-rated puppetry either. It's like he wants to just get a whole no, audience but, as much as he can. But Saturday Night Live was a pretty risque yeah. show back then. And I guess they never really, him and Lorne Michaels really never gelled on what they really saw, what they wanted. And um, I've worked with a couple of cameramen who did the first season of Saturday Night Live, and they said it's amazing to see Henson coming in with all his guys and doing this stuff. And then you talk to people who've done Sesame Street, and it's like, there was a problem they talk about on Labyrinth where Connolly and David Bowie, at, at the start, it's kind of hard interacting with these puppets because you're looking at them, but then the voice of the puppet's coming someplace behind you or below you. Yeah. So it's kind of disorientating. But then within an hour or two, you completely yeah. forget, and then you're just talking, and then you see it's very funny if you ever see the behind the scenes of any Muppet show or Sesame Street or whatever. You know, the cameras are off in between takes, and the actor is still interacting with the puppet. They're yeah. still having jokes. The puppets, you know, because the the, 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 the the puppeteer ends up being, you know, uh, stays in character, so to speak, the entire time. So you have, like, these outtakes of the puppets still saying funny things or maybe even doing risque stuff or swearing or something just off color. And well, it becomes very funny. My favorite, I was, you know, I think one of the most uh, interesting things about doing this show for me has been to Our s- Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers Saturday Night podcast. Movie Sleepovers. Yeah. Is to Not see, the Muppet Show. <laughs> is to see how different you and I's, our tastes are, yeah. really, and how like we grew up really being interested in different things. Because obviously like, our initial connection when we first met each other was that we were into a lot of the same things. But now, uh, you know, that was 20 years ago, and... and, and uh, uh, but now that we like when we decide, like we're trying to decide what movies we, we should do, and it's just like we start talking about things more... And there's just like, there's a, obviously there's a very big section where we, uh, where there's a lot of crossover, but there also just like are a lot of things that are just like, are very different. Like I never cared that much about Disney yeah, or the Muppets. And those are things that were like really cherished to you growing up. Yeah. It's weird. Uh, I, it's like, I guess that this kind of segues into our history of, of, of us because Henson, like me, I think one of the life-changing events that I had as a child was my parents gave me, though they, like, I think a lot like your folks where, you know, there was not necessarily limitations on what you watched. So f- because of that, I saw a lot of movies growing up that yeah. were very formative. But also they gave me a, a Fisher-Price record player, and they gave me like five records. And me to rattle these records off to you, you're going to laugh because you will you can see my it's, – it's, it's the root of my crazy personality now <laughs> and all yeah. my interests. I, they gave me uh, two Bill Cosby records, Wonderfulness and Fat Albert. They gave me Michael Jackson's Thriller. They gave me uh, a Transformers radio show, which was like pre-cartoon, so it's all different voices. And then they gave me the Muppet movie. And uh, I wore them all out. You know, I know the, the, the Bill Cosby records, the routines, you know, like the back of my hand. And the Muppet movie in itself is I have the soundtrack, the Paul Williams soundtrack. Uh, very nice, opens up and all that kind of thing. And then the, the, I mean, the vinyl um, cover. And then you go watch the movie, and I love the movie. And that was the movie that kind of wanted me to be kind of, hey, maybe I could, I'm interested in film. And that kind of yeah. got me into. So from a very early age of seeing the Muppet movie, and then at the time, they must have been rerunning The Muppet Show because he stopped doing The Muppet Show in the late 70s because while it was still successful because, um, well, 
he does Sesame Street. It gets successful. He does Saturday Night Live, like we said, for a year, yeah. uh, first season. And then he wants to do a new kind of like a variety show or a Broadway show. He pitches it to everybody uh, in America, and they're like, no, it won't work. No one will want to do it. So he goes to England, and in England, they're like, sure, we'll take it. So he ditches the Broadway show, and he kind of does a synthesis of that where he does, a, you know, like we know the Muppet show. It's a variety show, and it's behind the scenes of, you know, them putting on this variety show. So... That comes out, and it's huge, and then they have all guest stars come on, and it runs for, like, I think four or five seasons. And when it's at its height, he ends up canceling the show because he wants to then go into theatrical movies. And that's when he does the yeah. Muppet movie in 79. He does The Great Muppet Caper. He does, like we're saying, Emmett Otter, and then he ends up doing Dark Crystal. So um, they must have rerun the show when we were little because yeah. I used to watch the Muppet show, and uh, I had, you know, a couple of Muppet dolls and stuff, and that's my interest from Henson was very – from very early on, and puppetry and Muppets, and, you know, I would make sock puppets. Yeah, yeah. You know, with elastics and buttons and Sharpies, so it's like, uh, I was all into it, you know, all that behind-the-scenes stuff and all that, I loved it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I find it so interesting, too, just just the, the you know, with, the, with Sesame Street and all this stuff and how you can educate somebody by doing, you know, the way you present something, or the, I guess, the, the, the wide, uh, what I want to say, girth, but just the immensity that where you can have a show on one end of the spectrum be for children and have adult connotations or you can have the Muppet show which is for children but it's for like a family audience you know or you can do something slightly darker you know like um I guess the far end would be like Peter Jackson's Meet the Feebles you know it's like <laughs> yeah you know it's yeah. like so out there but it's you know or, or like Team America you know and it's it's yeah, yeah. And it's different enough that it's not like the Thunderbirds again, you know, mm-hmm. which a lot of people from our generation don't even know what the Thunderbirds are. Yeah. You know, so uh, what's your, do you have, what's your connection? Just, I mean, it was, uh, you know, binary. It was, it's weird. I look at my uh, childhood and I don't really see any, I don't see a lot of things that were like extremely important to me, but I can split, you know, through talking about Disney and knowing you and stuff like I know that those things were a lot bigger for you than they were me. Not that I didn't see them. Like we saw, I remember we went to go see Snow White as, you know, a re-release screening yeah. and I liked some of those. I did like some of the, some of the Disney movies of our youth, which is like your a much bigger like Beauty and the Beast fan. I never really cared about Beauty and the Beast. I did like The Little Mermaid and I liked Aladdin a lot, but those were like really the only two yeah. that I kind of liked. And yeah, The Muppet Show did re-air, did rerun a lot when we were young, I remember. But it's again, it was like, I think my like nerdy sci-fi thing, because I only ever really liked Pigs in Space. It was like the only part of that show I liked. And so like I liked when like Mark Hamill was on for yeah. Star Wars. <laughs> well, then it's funny to see. You see like the celebrities of the time, like the Steve Martin or the yeah, like, Mark Hamill. Stallone is on. Raquel Welsh. It's like all these people. Yeah, that you, people you wouldn't even like Vincent Price. People you don't think. Stallone. Alice you, Cooper. Al, you know, Al, Alice <laughs> Cooper. And you think about it at the time. I, I it's, see. It's all weird. It's almost like '80s glam rock, or you know, where the, at the time that was like badass looking. If you see a dude walking down the street with face paint and yeah, leather, yeah. you know, leather pants and like a metal mesh shirt, you're gonna stay away from him. But now it's like, you know, it's, it's a teased hair. But Jerry, we're also watching these like quite a few years after they aired. So like. You know, it yeah, different. It's, it was it's like a different a, era. Yeah, you know? it was like there were, we're thinking of these people's. It's like when we watched, we talked about. The, I don't remember what cast we talked about this, but like the Scooby Doo movies with like, oh yeah, like the Mama Cats, or, uh, <laughs> yeah, or, like, or, you know, yeah, like Mama Cats, Lou Reed, 
you know, Davy Jones or Don Knotts, <laughs> Dick Van Dyke. And some, some of them are like weird. Like, why would you have him on there? Like, Lee Van Cleef. <laughs> you know, why would you have But uh, it was like these were people that – that's really funny. We should do a, a sketch show where it's like – the outtakes that didn't make the, the Scooby Doo movies. Like today, it's uh, Bruce Lee. <laughs> no, really but weird. There were people that were like way past. You know, a lot of them were past their prime when they were on that. Sh- I mean, we're talking like. The, I mean, obviously, it wasn't the original Three Stooges, but or like yeah. Laura and Hardy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but it was like we're watching it even further. Yeah, well, that's, so like, that's that's what's so weird. I mean, if we get into that for a second, it's like the Lauren Hardy. They only did that for the opening, but they yeah. did do it. So there wasn't yeah. an episode. But uh, but the Three Stooges, there was a complete episode. But at the time, in the late '60s, you had that resurgence of the. Remember the robotic Stooges? They were like, oh yeah, yeah. they were like early versions of Inspector Gadget. So whose fucking idea was it? Like, <laughs> let's take the three. Well, the three. That's a whole. That's a whole other. Yeah, class. it's so a whole other. You know, because like, in the late in the early sixties, they did those a bunch of those movies that were like huge. Yeah, yeah. and they're like well, ridiculous that's because the shorts started getting aired on television, so they became popular like for the first time. Yeah, in like how many years? And it's so it's uh, so it's it's weird. So we're getting okay. So it'd be funny that you, you see, yeah you see the people who come on to Scooby Doo, and then this is the mid seventies, and they're and we're Laurel watching Hardy. it in the eighties. Yeah. And it's, but so, we still, at least we like still Barney have, a, <laughs> yeah, we still have like a, 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 a foot in that reality. We know who the three students are. We know who Laura and Hardy are. So it's removed for us to show them to kids now. Yeah, yeah. Who the hell are these people? But my, to my point with Alice Cooper is you think, so going back to like, welcome to my nightmare. I mean, that must've been pretty heavy for some people. Like that's like almost like eighties Aussie territory where people are like, well, Alice Cooper, he looked crazy. He's dressing up, yeah, yeah. you know, he's singing about death and, yeah. you know, so then to have, and and today it's completely like um you know it's it's uh it's good it's like rock it's like you know it's he's, he's doing like some good solid like you know I wouldn't say heavy metal but it's like classic rock and then yeah. for him to go on the muppets and parody himself but then he's performing welcome to my nightmare in these freaky songs yeah, yeah it's really neat you know and it's really neat that henson would you know henson to me uh larger to everything we're talking about in this cast kind of seems like he's Steven Spielberg of his uh, little world where there's certain movies or shows like he directed Labyrinth but then if you go on and he does like some shows in the 80s he doesn't direct everything but I'm sure like Steven Spielberg he has a hand over everything oh, yeah, sure. you know post-production he's putting his name on it he yeah. knows what's going down yeah it's like yeah it's like Walt Disney's so it's like Jim Henson's so I get a lot of that you know so you know and, and for anyone who says he was like the nicest guy in the world, he wouldn't yeah, say yeah. a bad. Thing. I actually someone uh, very close to me who's uh, when she first moved to New York, she worked. She she got a job as a temp for a temp agency, just trying to get work. And one of the days she temped was at, at Jim Henson's office. Wow, what year is this? I would have to say it was mid to late eighties. Oh, so he's still alive. Yeah, yeah. And she was just like, he was the night, came out, introduced himself, was like, if you need anything, like, let me know. I know. It, and then. You don't uh, hear a bad word for Bob. She, she said he was like the nicest guy ever. And then she's just like answering phones and uh, she picks up the phone. Somebody calls. She picks up the phone. She's like, yeah, this is, uh, is Jim there. She's like, who's calling? He's like, this is Frank. Um, who's this? And she's like, oh, you know, and they, she has this conversation with Frank Oz because Frank Oz was genuinely interested to see who she was. <laughs> And, and then it's weird because Frank Oz's regular speaking voice is a halfway between. It's like Frank Welker. It's like a halfway between Miss Piggy and like yeah. uh, Fozzie. And he's kind of like you know. So it's like, oh, yeah, oh, you know. So it's like, can you imagine you're talking to 
freaking, you know, Yoda, Miss Piggy. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Henson sounds a lot like. Oh, Kermit. Know, yeah, you're right. It's like, like you know, and, and Ernie. And, um, so. I'm just saying, firsthand account. Nice people. And you've met at one time. Then you go to a, you went to a uh, um, an event and you met um, one of Henson's children. One of the, I met his one of his daughters. Yeah, one of the daughters, yeah. and I she was kind of keeping herself under wraps, right? She didn't really. She wasn't. Really yeah, you know, people. it's a tough thing. They all, as far as I know, I mean, you said there's four of them. At there's least five. There's um, Lisa, Cheryl, Brian, John, and Heather. And I think the guy John Heather, is the one. I think is the one I met. John, I think, passed away. He's the one who died recently who was like, he had a heart attack while But it's like they all, if not all of them, most of them went into it. Yeah. Puppetry. Of course, at the time, too, it's like it wasn't like he was struggling. So you think about if if, if him and his wife are having them between, I say, 59 to like 1970, he's doing pretty well. The money's coming in. So, yeah, why not get into the industry? Especially since he devised like a workshop where he has the Jim Henson workshop in New York. And then because of... um, uh, going to England. See, this is another story. I knew a guy who worked on the first couple seasons of Sesame Street, and, and he I, he's since retired. He was a, at the time, he was a sound guy. So he brought in for me the the the, the shotgun microphone that that I have a picture of it. Maybe I, I can include the picture in this cast. And it had labels on what it did, and I, I can't for the life of me remember what other shows it recorded. But it's stuff we, we know. Yeah. And like this did, and this did the Muppet Show, and it was back in the old days where. Um, to get into like a, a, a what a jib is, but it's you know he had to physically with a the 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 the, the mic was attached to a big arm on wheels, and he was like you know wheeling yeah. that thing around and getting it up out of the way. It's like a big boom mic. Yeah, that was you know in the old days before you'd actually mic people with like a lavalier microphone. Which is amazing. It sounded so good. I know. Well, and because yeah, you're directional, and then you don't hear anything. Because I mean, this guy's you, a sound guy. At that time's working their ass off. I always thought about like when you watch those like Sinatra specials, like TV specials from back in like in the seventies and stuff. Nobody's mic'd. Yeah. You know? Nobody's mic'd. Like, you know, I, you know we, we're trying to make student films, and all you hear is like... Yeah. <laughs> you know, a car goes by, a plane. <laughs> the camera's rolling. You hear the noise. You hear the camera. Like, the camera noise. everything's got up on these sections. And yet, like, Frank could sit there and sing a whole song completely unmiked. And, no, and it sounds perfect. Or especially, like, if you're on a talk show like um, uh, the Mike Douglas show. Where it's like five guys sitting, you have like Jack Benny, Bill Cosby, Milton Burrow, uh, you know, Mike Douglas, and some other dude, like, you know, Yoko Ono and John Lennon. Nobody <laughs> has a mic, and it's just one dude with a boom above them just yeah, yeah. swinging his boom around. You could see it a little bit in, uh, uh, we watched, kind of as a follow-up to this, we watched a Jim Henson behind the scenes. Oh, yeah, I want to clue that in the cast, too. It's great. Um but there's one part where he's showing, it's from the, what year is it from? It's from 89. To, yeah, so it's during that show he did the gym it's like Jim Henson the, hour where like he introduces and and the background is all like cgi 89 so he, cgi which yeah, is crazy yeah. so he's showing you as a behind the scenes thing like what it looks like and it's just a blue screen and when you see that blue just the blue screen you can see that there's like the boom yeah you know so you could get a glimpse of what it is in some of the footage of uh of what we're talking about here. Um, so the guy that I knew, Bobby Bobby Viola was his name. I, Bobby Iola. He's, he's since retired. He did that, and he used to say, like, for the first season of Sesame Street, him and Mr. Hooper would sit in, in Hooper's store on the counter, and they'd be betting on, like, horses at freaking, <laughs> um, what's the what's the place in Queens? Uh, oh, uh, Belmont? Yeah, he, the Belmont. They're, they're, you know, circling horses and all that. And then, you know, of course, Mr. Hooper passed away, like, a couple years into the show. And he said that there was... I guess maybe it was union work at the time, but there was kind of like an outrage or a, like a, a, a backlash that Henson then took 
the Muppet Show and went to England. But if you know the story behind it, it's like it wasn't necessarily his fault. Nobody over yeah. here was buying it. But it kind of none of those people who lived in the city could then go to England because they shot it in London, all yeah. the Muppet Show. So, you know, they stayed on doing the Sesame Street, you know. So it's amazing that he had these, you know, on, on other sides of the, um, you know, the, the Atlantic, you know, he had these two sh- thriving shows. And it's a lot of traveling, you know, killing yeah. yourself doing all that. So uh, come the, he starts doing theatrical work and then um, get to, you know, we, like we said, he did Dark Crystal, which is a real crazy movie for me too <laughs> yeah. and he did that with maybe, maybe we'll get to it at some point yeah it sounds yeah, sure like something we can to, you know that to discuss. uh he did it with this this friend of his called brian froud i think his name is oh yeah he's a he's a he's a it's uh, an artist yeah like a conceptual artist much like what's his face uh geiker who did you know the really scott stuff with alien yeah and he did they they both came up with this world for um for dark crystal and then when they're literally done with dark crystal I guess they're BSing back and forth another idea, and they came up with an idea of let's have them like, which uh, is kind of you know dark within itself. Let's goblins stealing a baby. Well, they decided that they wanted. They talked about the idea of doing something like Dark Crystal with like an actual human element. Yeah, you know, not just where everything's a puppet and a little lighter too. They add the comedy in so that it can be more accessible to the audience they'd gotten through the Muppet Show. So they come up with a really, they want to do it a little lighter. So they come up with an incredibly fucked up concept. Yeah, which is, I don't think, I don't know if it's a based off of a specific fairy tale, but it's very No, much there's a lot of influences. Tons of influences. And all of the, them are, like, they acknowledge it. And that they're yeah. all, like, in the, they're like, it's the great. books that she has on her bookshelf. Yeah. And everything. And he even acknowledges that at the end of the, 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 the picture, at the end of the movie, he said, he says, you know, Henson says, thank you, it's written, you know, uh, like, to acknowledge the work of Maurice uh, Sendek, which might be the person who did the, where the wild things wild, are. Yeah. And then also the picture, which is very famous, the MC uh, Lechner picture that near the end, she, she has it on her wall. Yeah, yeah. And then at the end of it, it's a whole homage to ending, the ending climax is done, you know, to that. So he's acknowledging all this, which is very yeah, funny. Yeah. But it's, a, so they come up with this idea and he makes a painting. I mean, he's actually a big deal, Brian Froud, in yeah. terms of like, if you're into fantasy and stuff. I mean, he's like a big artist, has books and and stuff is, you know, people collect his work. He's kind of a big deal. So he's this English guy, and he, he does this, yeah. And so he does. Uh, this is kind of his thing. And so they, but he, so he does this painting of a baby with all these goblins around, and all those goblins, if you see the original painting, actually look a lot like what they end up doing. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. they're they're the ones that are in the movie, yeah. kind of big noses or like the kind of like World War One era, like you know German Nazi hats. Those you know, and then helmets. like and then like three or six months later, he has a his wife has their baby, uh, Toby, yeah, who looks exactly like the kid. Yeah, the it's, it's almost a little too much. Like we need a baby, and then he's like, you know, and then we had one. Like he almost like planned it that way, you know. And he knew what it was going to look like because the baby looks just like the baby in the in uh, his conceptual in the work. Painting. So that he's had, like, so Toby Froud is actually the baby in. Uh, yeah, and then they place, couldn't place Toby. Yeah, because the the baby wouldn't answer anything else except Toby. So um, you know, they called him Toby. I mean, you must have think of what hell that must have been trying to. You know, it's hard to work with a child to begin with, yeah. a baby. And then you have a baby who's probably, I would think, freaked out because all around them are like goblins. Well, even Henson is like, you know, they always say you don't work with children. Animals. Or, you don't work with animals. You don't work with puppets. And you don't look with, work with babies. And he's like, I've worked with puppets all the, you know, for years. Never had a problem. He's like, I've worked with animals on a few occasions. Not a big deal. He's like, when I don't work with the babies, I can understand why they say that now. <laughs> so it's because it's a baby. I mean, yeah. you can't really give a baby direction. You have to kind of make it react 
the way you want it. Yeah, and it's just it's almost like with an animal, you have to just you know blow as much film as you can to try to get the reaction you want, and then that's going to be the gold. That's why I, I, you know, if you watch those like uh, Beverly Hills Chihuahua movies, or uh, you know, or to- you know, uh, even like freaking nature shows where you yeah. have. You know these these cameras embedded in like an ant's like freaking. I was like, how the hell are you? Like, how much time are you blowing just waiting for this butterfly to <laughs> come out of a cocoon? Or you know, it's just yeah, like yeah. It, it looks great, but you never think it's like. It goes back to the concept of that. Um, uh, what's the there's the movie? Uh, what's the Alps movie where the people got on top of it and they almost died? You know they uh, you know because they they froze to death. What's the big uh, mountain everyone wants to climb? Apple. Uh, yeah, yes. the Himmel, not the Himalayas. Uh, you know, but the name of that Everest. Everest. So there's a, there's a documentary called Everest where it's like the people went up there and then they. Well, never... yeah, there's the fucking uh, IMAX documentary. Yeah, and it's like they're for you know it's the, the it's all about the plight of the the the, the climbers who uh, you know they make the decision on their own that, that no one's putting a gun to their head yeah. to climb this fucking mountain, which they know that like it's only a fifty fifty shot they're going to be able to do it. Then they get up there and they get stuck because of whatever the weather weather conditions, their deteriorating health, their fingers are falling off because of frostbite. And you're like, oh, woe is me for these guys. But then you step back and think yeah. that there's a fucking there's camera, a camera crew. crew. Okay, and this is the old days. This is the old days. So it's not like, and they're shooting IMAX. Yeah, so it's 70 <clears throat> millimeters. So they're shooting like an IMAX even bigger. I think IMAX was even bigger than 70 millimeters. So you think about so it, it wasn't like Because now they shoot it and then they blow it up to IMAX. It's like no big deal. But back then, like an IMAX This is frame, like 1990. I mean, I'm sorry, 1999-2000. So it's not that long ago. The IMAX frame, like a frame of IMAX. Film. Yeah, film. They're shooting it. Is like the size of like a 4x6. Yeah, 4x6 postcard. Postcard. So you think about... <laughs> That you, that's one frame. That's one frame. You so know, you think if you... 24 that, frames a second. Back in the day when you used to have your still, you'd take your still pictures with an actual film. Yeah. And then you would take them to... Whatever to th- get developed. To get, to get developed. And they give you back the pictures. They give you back the negative. They give you the prints. That's and they a give 35... You... Mil- that negative strip is a thirty. Is how big a 35 millimeter frame. Which is 35 millimeter is typically what they shoot, what they shoot a movie on that you'd see in a theater. Yeah. And then when they blow it up for, say, 70 millimeters, say, on one of these big IMAX screens or even bigger, you, you know, they, they, they have to have a wider uh, frame. So you to think that one frame of this film is the size of a postcard and they're shooting how, how big of a spool? 24 of those a second. In a, in a magazine <laughs> that's probably, usually the magazines used to run about 10 minutes. So you think how heavy, and then you think about the camera that you're going to need to be able to shoot that. And then you got to think about the equipment, like the tripods. The tripods. And then they're taking shots. I remember when I saw that at the IMAX theater. They're, like, talking about how, like, to get across, like, the crevices in the ice, they'd have to lay a ladder over yeah. it. And then they would use they would walk across a ladder like it was a bridge. So then they, you have a shot of the people walking across the ladder. And then you have a shot of the camera guy looking at his feet. As he's walking across the ladder, like the point of view, so that yeah, so you can see what the uh, mountain, the mountain climbers are <laughs> yeah. seeing. You know, like as it goes in. So this guy's got this giant camera over his shoulder. He's looking at his feet as he's crossing across the ladder. A crevice in the in the not top to, of a mountain. Not to mention that you could only shoot like I don't know x amount of minutes at a time, maybe ten. Yeah, tops. at most. So then some guy in the hub sub zero temperatures is trying to change mags. Yeah, you got to load you, mags you, in, and a, then it, in a in a, in a bag <laughs> because you can't expose it much like your old film you can't expose it to lighter you'd ruin the film so he has to have his hand in a bag taking the old film out of the magazine putting that away putting new film in you know feeding it shutting the magazine taking your hand out of the bag you're working probably without gloves at that point uh 
And then there was an issue with the batteries to, to power the cameras because since it's so cold, the batteries were dying quickly. Yeah. So it's just you think about it, what what that's all that's involved, and everyone's just worried about the damn climbers. <laughs> and it's like you know, or it, there's another concept which I think um, Les Strode from those Survivor Man has talked about a lot, where you know he shoots everything himself. Or you know, a lot of these people they set the camera up on a tripod for this really nice you know image, and then you know they walk away, and they, that's the shot for say you know a minute and a half, and then the you know the camera stops. You have to come back and get the fucking. <laughs> Get the tripod, and, you know, so it's like, you know, you can't just leave it there. You need everything. So it's, you know, yeah, uh, why not, did we even get on this Yeah, concept? I don't know. I don't remember why. Uh, how we were hard we're about talking about working with stuff with babies. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then uh, I don't know how we jump from yeah, babies anyways. to, uh, this is this is a Tangent. rambling cast. Tangent. Yeah, yeah. All the ladies out there who are like, talk about Labyrinth. <laughs> all right, so Labyrinth. Uh, You're right. So we got. Uh, oh, because we were talking about uh, Lechner and all the different influences there. So um, they come up with this really messed up kind of a concept. And then they start fleshing it out. They 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 bring in. Uh, we said Terry Jones from from um, Monty Python. Monty Python to add some humor into which it, which is interesting because when I was thinking about this movie, uh, and I, you know, we t- I was talking about a little bit earlier how it was like a very weird time for movies. And another movie, which actually was a lot earlier than I realized it was, was Time Bandits. There's a lot of movies in this. Uh, there's a lot of movies around this time that I think kind of reflect, and I don't want to give kind of any of them away. Well, I guess I'm going to have to. But you, there's a lot of like, you know, you have like we said, Legend, you have Neverending Story, Time Bandits. There's a lot of uh, yeah. elements. Time Bandits is less fantasy, but it's this idea of like this kid on a weird adventure that's kind of you know fantastical. Uh, Terry that's, Gilliam. That, that's like eighty one. But Terry Gilliam is also meant, the reason why I brought it up is because Terry Gilliam's also He's connected to, Ty, the, to to Mighty Python. Mighty Pythons. So it's a very like because I when I was watching it, I was like, this is, has like a weird that British. It has a lot of funny British humor, like in it. that British fantasy thing. It has a very similar feel, yeah. to something like Time Bandits. And now that we're talking about it, kind of realizing, like, oh, they're both two Monty Python, the two directors of Mighty Python. Yeah, you know, Mighty Python was a was a was a group of guys that performed, but the guys that directed the Monty Python movies were the two Terrys. Yeah, so they were actually the guys that directed, like. You know, Life Holy of Brian Grail and Life of Brian and stuff. So yeah. we take like the two guys that directed these movies, and then they make these weird, fantastical movies. Even yeah, and then Terry... you look at the Terry Gilliam movies, where the freaking the tangents he goes on with Brazil and uh, you know some what's his uh, Ron Munson, which is odd because he's not even British. So no. like Time Bandits has like this very British feel to it. But yeah, um, well, even here it's like Henson isn't British. Um, but it's funny. A lot of the the humor is British. Like uh, I, I always laugh at the part with the little worm. Yeah. He's like, hello. He's like, oh, come on, meet the missus. <laughs> it's like it's a little freaking. Oh, come on, have a cup of. Come on and have a cup of tea. It's all right. Come on, and he's wearing a little scarf. It's it's very funny. So they get Terry Jones to do the first script, um, and then uh, they bring of George Lucas in, and George Lucas does a, another shot. At a whole bunch of other people. They go through like twenty five versions of the script before they get the thing done, yeah. and then they start thinking about they want to have a you know the the lead it's going to be a female young female they wanted to have her be young enough so she's kind of a child but she's in the year where she could almost be an adult so she's in that very critical transitional period and then they're trying to think of what the play off of the be the the goblin king and uh it's kind of genius what they thought here and i guess it was henson's idea where he's like let's have it be a contemporary like kind of rock icon and they immediately think of like maybe mick jagger sting even michael jackson yeah michael jackson goes on to do the captain eo thing anyway yeah you know i thought sting would have been a great choice because sting would have been a good choice he's acting at the time even um mick jagger's acting at the time he did some yeah. stuff with um what's his face um 
Warner Herzog briefly. And, yeah, and, you know, yeah. he goes on to do that Free Jack, Free Jack, which is in like 1990, <laughs> which is another movie we could get to. You know. We should do that movie. It's so you know, and then Bowie, of course, has been acted too. He did The Hunger, and he did some other stuff. So all these people do have acting chops. So they get David Bowie, and David Bowie, like to all accounts, seems like the nicest guy. In the yeah, world. well, you know, it's it's from what I heard that it was like the studio wanted Michael Jackson. Jim Henson really liked Sting. Yeah. But, but then it's Henson's kids, <laughs> Henson's kids were like, if you pick David Bowie, like you you have a better chance at like longevity because Bowie had already been around since the 60s. Yeah, it's great. Like late 60s. Um, yeah. You, what's what do you you you're more in touch with Bowie than I am. What's his he came out in the late 60s. I guess he that must have been he must have been in his 20s because he's born in 47. And then is his first is he does he come to fame doing Ziggy Stardust? Is that his first? He does a couple of things. Is it like Alice Cooper, like yeah. a character? It's my understanding. I'm like, I'm certainly no uh, Bowie aficionado. I'm not even that big of a fan, to be honest with you, but I am kind of just like a weird British rock. Yeah. <laughs> and you've seen him, haven't you? I seen have him? seen him. Yeah. Yeah, live. And right? he does a, I mean, you have nothing it against was, him. Yeah, like I, I'm not a big fan, but I, I'm always up for a good concert. I yeah. go see a lot of people that like I'm not necessarily a fan of, but like I'm interested to see what their live show's like, and Bowie fucking delivered. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't really tour anymore, but uh, he hasn't really done much uh, for a long time. Some people say there's a rumor that it was because he got sick, he had heart problems or something. Oh. Uh, there was a rumor that he got fat and he didn't want to be seen, so he didn't come out. But uh, I, I do think he was ill for a while, and that's he's actually put out some studio music somewhat recently. But uh, and he's just got, had a birthday as of when we're doing the cast, when we're recording this. Oh right yeah, now. okay. So when this posts, it'll be a week ago, a week old. So happy birthday, David! He's happy turning what sixty eight or sixty nine because he's born in forty seven. Belated, belated, happy belated birthday! And he's one of these guys that doesn't look like he's you know he's like Sting. Or I mean, I don't know about now, but for a long time, he, he, just, yeah. he looks great. He's, he looks great. You know, you know he's uh, so he did a couple of albums, and then I think like Space Oddity or whatever that show that song was that became like a, a that was like his first like really big hit, I think. And then the Ziggy Stardust, was, I think it was like when he really took off. And that's in the mid seventies. So that, yeah, so it was like he'd been kicking around, and I think he started to become pretty big in like the late sixties. And then, because then he drops the Ziggy Stardust, I think in the late seventies. Because then, when you, he does and that, be, and then the eighties, he becomes the Great White Duke. Yeah, because then he does uh, the thing with Bing Crosby in like seventy eight or seventy seven. They, they do, um, uh, rope bum bum. Yeah, yeah. And that's like literally like a week before Bing Crosby died of a heart attack. And I think by that time he'd stopped doing the. Which I think Ziggy you know Stardust. the casting of of David Bowie is interesting. I mean, you know, right around that time he was in things like The Hunger and. Uh, uh, I'm flaking on other titles. But it's yeah, late. It's late at night. Now. He was doing a, a, a lot of movies at that point. Um, but I think it's interesting because it goes back to what we were talking about with like the Muppet show and the Scooby-Doo thing, which is like, okay, this was a contemporary movie for us when we were little, but David Bowie wasn't necessarily a contemporary artist for us. So it wasn't like they cast David Bowie for our for kids, the, yeah. for the kids, that was like maybe the the <laughs> the parents will like David Bowie, but I like, wonder if it's they're also kind of like it's like with the Muppet Show. They're schooling you to, you know, I wouldn't have necessarily known who Mark Hamill was because, or I mean, now because of Star Wars, but a lot of those people who come on, like Raquel Welsh or you said yeah, yeah. Sly Stallone, it's like I maybe mean, a lot you're, of them you're promoting dec- something at the time. Yeah, so maybe you're also the kids getting a certain kind of an introduction. I'm sure there's people that they didn't want to come on yeah, that maybe yeah. weren't fit to be on the show but th- that said they are putting on a lot of people that you wouldn't think would be on a show like that like, yeah. like we said um, we keep bringing Sly, Sly, Sly Stallone up so it's like I wonder if Henson is actively 
Yeah, why don't I try to, like, you know, and then with the David Bowie casting, he's trying to, like you're saying, he's trying to get all his eggs in one basket. It was kind of, it was it was smart casting. If you're going to go the route of, like, musical pop star, I think his kids were right. Like, I think I do think you had a better chance of longevity with a project if you had David Bowie. Because, like I said, he had been, already been around for, like, 20 years. Yeah. Plus, um, he's just an interesting guy. In the 60s, before he became, like, he studied to be a mime so he was very like in touch with like the physicality of yeah. performance, and um, I also think going back to the Muppet Show, I mean, this is this would have been a time where you, nobody probably would have touched him, but uh, I think Alice Cooper would have been a really interesting choice. For, for yeah, the Goblin or even if you can get a performance out of him, I mean, this might be a long shot, but if you can do it, maybe even Ozzy. You know, of course, mid eighties, no one would touch Ozzy because yeah, of Suicide yeah. Solution and all that. But yeah, it, yeah. It, that'd be interesting a performance to have. But it'd be too dark. But you know, guys like uh, David Bowie and Alice Cooper were these guys that played like these characters on stage. You know, yeah. And uh, I always like an interesting thing would have been if you had like that, like Goblin King has a brother story. <laughs> you know, the, you know, like Alice Cooper and David Bowie, like in the same movie. Well, they playing did. playing like Goblin twin brothers would have been fucking really weird. It's it's weird when you see Alice Cooper's um, Muppet Show episode where they when they, he does Welcome to My Nightmare and they have all these puppets to kind of animate his Welcome to My Nightmare. You know, yeah, yeah. and he might well, do I mean, one they, or two other songs. Well, on I mean, there. they had that Welcome to My Nightmare. Well, let's think. Alice Cooper, you know, had his had a big. Had hits with like things like "Schools Out," "I'm 18," "Billion Dollar Babies" was a big uh, album, and that was with the Alice Cooper band. The band was called Alice Cooper, and then he the band kind of breaks up. Alice goes his own way, becomes Alice Cooper, yeah, as a character, and then does "Welcome to My Nightmares" his first like quote unquote solo album. But there's like a t- there's that TV special, yeah. Where yeah. it was like with Vincent Price. Well, Vincent Price is on the second track, and it's and this is pre Thriller. Yeah, and I think it's fucking great. Yeah, it's one yeah. of the best. I mean, you I know, mean that album is one of my favorite. Oh, the, albums the album's of all amazing. Time. You know, and you've always said that you know it'd be great if they they turned it into like a Broadway musical, yeah, which yeah. I think they even try to do like with with Labyrinth here. Uh, but like, it's just so forward thinking to get Vincent Price to come on because it's the mid seventies. He's known for horror, and he's like, "Sure, I'll do it." <laughs> well, and it's like that, you know, and that and that. And it's one of those things, again, where probably his kids were like, yo, yeah, do it because it's Alice Cooper is huge, yeah, yeah. you know. But there was like a television, like a primetime television special with Alice Cooper. So it's very, you know, yeah, it's very TV weird. It's very weird in yeah, the they 70s. Were, they had, yeah, they're doing, I mean, look, look we've, we've referenced before in the late 70s, they did like a freaking, um, uh, the the Friars roast of the super DC superheroes, and you had like freaking Adam West as Batman, and they had all the Superman, all these and DC the f- hosted by Ed McMahon, and the like, Star Wars Christmas special, the, so, the Star Wars Christmas with like B Arthur, B Arthur, Art Carney, and uh, <laughs> fucking uh, Jefferson Starship. <laughs> you know, if if you think that's the weirdest fucking thing what in the weird, world, what a weird, what a weird, what a great time. You know, Ooh, great, but also very strange. Where, you know, but everything at the time was all right. You know, it was all copacetic. So they cast. They cast um, um, David Bowie here, and and you're right. It's 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 really cool, and it's weird seeing him now because he looks very dated. The music oh, yeah. sounds well, the very hair, dated. The wig they put on was so fucking eighties. But I wonder at the same time if it's still lasting because he's not he's playing a Goblin King. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you know because at the same time I hear two women find him very sexy in this role, like a lot of girls. Well, well that, that's you know, kind of the brilliance of it. I think there's a lot of things. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I don't want to. I don't, I, I I certainly don't want to emphasize this, but. Through the majority of the movie, they just highlight his package. Like, no tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, those pants, you know, and it's always like, look at, look at, they're just, they're just, they're just, they're, they got a bow on that thing. And okay, just- so the concept of the movie is Jennifer Connelly plays a f- 
she's like she's 14 when she makes it. I feel like the character is supposed to be 14 yeah, or 15. Yeah, she's a girl named Sarah. She's very into, like, you know, fantasy. Yeah, Wizard of Oz. Acting out fantasy uh, Withering Heights. She's she got a, her dad's remarried. She doesn't like the stepmom. There's a, she has a stepbrother. She has a half-brother. Half yeah, named Toby. Toby. And she feels like she always has to babysit him because they're always going out on Saturdays or whatever. And she's just like, she's not happy with her life. We see on her wind, on her mirror, pictures of like act an actress. I think we're supposed to assume that like, I think her it's mom her mother was an with, actress with David Bowie. With David Bowie, there's yeah. a lot of pictures of her with David Bowie. There's in the scrapbook she has. It looks like her mom was like a Broadway actress. So there's pictures of her with, which is where she be, gets like this theatrical. Yeah, because at the beginning of the movie, which I, I think for people who, especially women who are fans of this movie, you, you know, everyone's gonna know. But when they pan through his through her room. Everything that ends up being in the movie later, from where the wild things are to you know the Wizard of Oz elements to even the puppet, the 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 the, the uh, statues, figurines to yeah. to the, even the little stuffed animals are all going to show up later on. Well, it's a very, I mean, it's not you know, there's, you can't really beat around the bush like the books that she has in the thing. Yeah, Brothers movie. Grimm and yeah, but like it's a, it's it's Wizard of the Oz. Yeah, it's her. It's, she's Dorothy Gale instead of going out of Kansas into this other. She's going into this. I mean, weird, she, there's a storm. She makes she's wishing for something else. Yeah. She has, doesn't like her. She doesn't like that she. Has she's a real bitch at the beginning of the movie. She's a four, she's like a fourteen year old brat. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. Yeah, I don't you know? know. I didn't read it that way. No, you didn't like you know, see like she's like kind of being. She's a teenage girl, and she's been. She's like the the she's stepmother. Shopping. The stepmother's like you know. Well, we don't get to go out that often. She's like you go out every weekend. Yeah. She's like, you don't even ask me if I have plans anymore. She's like, well, She's you like, should... 14. Go, go. <laughs> you shouldn't She's have like, plans. well, you should go out on dates. I feel like, you know, I think it's a, I feel like it's a very typical relationship. I don't think she's exceptionally, I think she, you know, yes, maybe she's a bit bitchy to the baby. Well, I think, you know what? I, I will concede that I think we caught her at a bad time, <laughs> Yeah, you know, because she's out. It's, it's, I think it's beautiful. The opening shot, it's kind of like, a, um, not a motif or a microcosm for the whole film where it starts off and, and she's in a dress and it looks like it's a complete like um, what's the other one as you wish uh, Peter Falk Fred Savage oh yeah but Princess Bride it's very Princess Bride where she's there and she's and then she forgets the line and then it's set up so it looks like she's in a fairy tale and then she forgets her line and then you see her dog and then one two three and like a couple of reverse shots you realize she's just in a park yeah yeah well it's real she's nice. like it's her, you know, it seems she's like her mom's an actress so she's got this very theatrical way about her you know yeah. an imagination and wanting to perform she's trying to remember the lines yeah. you know she, she has yeah. this thing um, starts and, pouring and she and realizes then, she's late and then it starts pouring so she, yeah she's, we catch her on a bad day she's <laughs> running through uh, where we like on the other side of the Tappan Zee Bridge in New York she's Pyramont and, and Nyack that's where they shot that those scenes of her running around which and, used to have the best video store of all time yeah uh, up there uh, in New York, I like Best Video <laughs> in Connecticut as well. Well, yeah, Best Video was great. The two best store video stores I've been to were those two. Uh, but uh, but but Piermont's video store even had like more wacky, yeah. rare stuff than Best Video. Yeah, it was on the other side of the Tappan Zee Bridge, right on the water there. Um, very around Nyack, very notable area. So that's where she, they shot those scenes. But the park was shot in England. So she runs home. It's pouring, like you're, it's you rain, said. Like, yeah. so Mom's like, you're, you're late. What the fuck? And, but you yeah. got like this storm element, and you have this like wishing for something else. And we do also the first shot we see in the which movie. Which is very Wizard of Oz. We, we see this this uh, owl come at us. And we learn which, um, you know, the owl becomes almost like the, like it's like a, a how a, and to bring up the allure of, uh, the vampire to women and girls. Yeah. How's the sexy element? And you, now you have the, like the Twilight and stuff like that. There's a lot of that within the David Bowie Jareth character. 
where he's like he can turn into the owl and stuff like that. So yeah. the first shot of the movie, you see an owl coming at us. Well, it's uh, all the during the credits, and it's too. it's a CGI owl, and it's the first time they ever, the first time uh, uh, on the screen you have a CGI. Uh, They're trying to make it's the first attempt at a yeah. photorealistic animal. animal character in a movie. And so it's when the we owl. so when we talked about. Last Starfighter. Yeah. We talked about how that was really the first time they tried to do like a photorealistic, you know, making CGI look photorealistic. Trying to make the spaceships actually look the way like a spaceship would look. This is the or first the car. Time. And then this is, yeah, first time they do it with an animal. So this is the first time they, they tried to do it with like a, a We're hitting a all the stops because we did with the black hole. That was like the first time you had a credit sequence with the, you know, <laughs> of, of the animation. Now all we got to do is Westworld. When Westworld comes out, we, we yeah, hit them all. We'll have to do, yeah. And then we'll do, when uh, Westworld comes out for HD, HBO. And, we'll and then Young Sherlock Holmes. You're, yeah, and, and then that's we, it. And, and that's we'll the same time. We'll have the, see, the, the history <laughs> of CGI. Yeah. Yeah. So you have that and you, and you realize that the owl is the David Bowie character in his, uh, in his um, what do you call it form? Like his his, yeah. his animal form, his like spirit animal. Or... Yeah. So you see a lot of Bowie's character being that, you know. So you know the animal or the vampire yeah, sexiness. Yeah. So she she's pissy. The parents leave and she's saddled to babysit the baby. And you're saying if she hates the baby so much, she starts saying these things. She's going to wish that the goblin. She goes into like her fantasy world, the book she reads. Yeah. And so the other Which thing, I think is the only thing that's not real, the labyrinth book she's reading. Yeah, yeah. Is, is, is a manufactured And this film. idea of that, like, I'm going to have the, the goblins come and take you to the goblins. And it's story. very funny because then here's the interjection to that humor where she starts saying that you were cutting to these goblins that are very like, like, oh, she's going to say yeah, it. Yeah, she's going to say it. She said it yet? No, she had to say it. I think her. it's funny. Like, and she comes up with like this big sh- feel about like what the line is yeah and they're like oh no that's not the line, oh, that's not the line. Like, oh. and it turns out the line is like just i wish they'd take <laughs> right now <laughs> it's like, i wish it's so much more simple yeah than i wish she was... they come right now and take them full stop as opposed to like she's like you know dreameth i dreameth night you know so she says it finally the right way and then they take and that gets freaky that gets a little more like cat's eye because when she she walks out of the room and the, the crying stops and then she goes in the light won't work and she's in the room behind her. You start seeing all this stuff where the baby, you know, something comes up over here, something comes yeah, up yeah. over here. I thought of cat's eye also. And it's very, you know, they're very like, they must have little people, you know, certain shots. Yeah. So yeah. like you see them walk in the frame and they walk out. And it's very freaky. It is. Like, it's it's kind of scary. And then it's like the classic. Then David know, Bowie shows up. Yeah. David Bowie shows up. But, but we have like this element of the Wizard of Oz. She's wishing for something other than what she's got. And then it's like that, like, be careful what you wish for kind of aspect. Yeah. And then she goes, David Bowie comes, takes the baby. Says, uh, well, what's, like, what's David Bowie do? He does one of the best Blake things that Jay Blake loves. He gives her a clock. And he says, you know, you want your baby, your brother back? He got 13 hours. If you can come through my labyrinth, hence the name of the movie, <laughs> and get to my hence castle. The title. Hence the title. If you can navigate through the labyrinth and get to the castle, you can get your, your, your baby brother within 13 hours. If not, I think it's, you would think in any other fairy tale that if not, we're going to eat him. But I think it's more like he's going to become a goblin. Yeah. Like, I think, I think there was that. It's never explained, I don't think. But I feel like there was, like, that I made this a weird assumption on my own, maybe, that, like, all those little goblins were other babies. Yeah, that have turned over and, and became you know the, yeah. the, you know and and it's also too i've heard some of the background i think even um david bowie says himself where it's like you know he um he wants to be something else he's kind of saddled with being this goblin king and then it's another t- situation where these goblins have got him in so he's kind of like going through the motions for them he's he is kind of like a stroppy kind of like spoiled you know but he's like a big 
big child. Yeah. You know, because because like the and like realistically, what is the kingdom he's running? Yeah. It's just like a bunch of bumbling, silly, <laughs> you know, goblin puppets. Yeah, you yeah. know, even outside in the labyrinth. You know, so he's kind of just living in this world and. Yeah, he's never necessarily mean to. It's not like Willow or anything, you know. He's not like you, you never think that there's like you know he has the baby locked in like a cage hanging from the ceiling, and then in the thirteen yeah, hours, yeah, no, he's he seems sacrifice fine it. with the baby. Yeah, he's playing with the baby and stuff like that. And another thing that they do with when when they send it back to Terry Jones when they cast David Bowie is David Bowie wants to do some singing and stuff like that, and he said he'd do his own, uh, you know, his own songs and all that, and. and Terry Jones like okay and he, he didn't really like that idea but he then rewrote it so you'd have some situations where so David it becomes a musical yeah which is great because it's it's because of the Phantom of Paradise and you know that it's it's very much in yeah. the world of you know girls and, and all you know what I mean it's, it's <laughs> I would I mean I'll say personally uh you know anybody can have their own opinion about it but it's certainly in my opinion not some of David Bowie's best <laughs> work no, like, I don't but think, I, think I think, don't think the songs are particularly very good in this movie. No, but I think they have staying power for people, and people still love it because it's the association. Yeah, with them. well, that's the thing. You know, I mean, I, I mean, think it's dated for the '80s. I think that's the I think that's the the discussion that really needs to take place. So you know, if we get through, because it, they do sound very much like '80s songs. So if you if you divorce them from the film themselves, he did. Uh, five songs: Underground, Magic Dance, Chili Down, As the World Falls Down, and Within You. And I think he actually did uh, like music videos for two or three of them that yeah. got airplay. That they used the puppets, the Muppets, and they shot stuff for that. So that got airplay as well. Sure. So I think when they're with this movie, you know, they have a yeah, little more yeah. legs to stand. Well, I on. think that's where the discussion needs to go. But let's just uh, tighten this up a little bit. So just to get rid of like what to get through what like the plot is. What I was saying about the Wizard of Oz is that like we take all these elements that are inside her room, the pictures of David Bowie with her mom. That's also very Wizard of Oz, like all her friends and her family and stuff that are in in the movie that are. Yeah, (laughs) they all become they are the characters in the thing. So this idea of like she's bringing her imagination to it, which gives it like this weird other dimension of like, is this kind of really happening kind of thing? So then she's on this adventure to try to save her, her little brother. And like I said, it's like kind of this aspect of be careful what you wish for. And that's kind of like the rest of the movie. The, that like the plot is very thin in that way. Like if you set up like what your goal is and then the only, the conflicts are just like the, the conflicts of, of the labyrinth. And she, it's also her there. getting over herself. I think her becoming maybe a woman, but her also getting over the, the problem she has with life yeah. and, 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 you know, thinking outside the box at a certain point. And, and she gets into this labyrinth. And I love that when she gets into the labyrinth, every minute thing within the labyrinth is, like, alive. I mean, like, you have, like we said, the little worm that's like, you know, come on in for a cup of tea, meet the missus. Or, or you have, like, the, those crazy eyes. They call them, like, uh, uh, lich, lichers or something where it's just the eyeballs yeah. and they turn with her. Or even the, she's using lipstick to, like, marker way to how to get back and there's people who live under the tiles that are flipping the tiles yeah, so it's like yeah. so like everywhere she goes there's like life within this labyrinth which is crazy and um she she, she meets all these zany people and the first person she meets is this guy hoggle hoggle i think was the most complicated kind of a puppet they had it's it's it, it was like the most apparent according to them was the most complicated puppet they had made to date yeah because you have um it, i'd say the the, the it's it's about four or five foot high you have an actual 
person in it, a little person. And then much like going back to our Harry and the Hendersons podcast, the face is controlled by about four or five other puppeteers who are off screen using um, remote controls and stuff like that. And they're, uh, they're able to control like the eyebrows, the noses, the mouth, the, the eyes themselves. So there's a lot of um, uh, practice there to get everybody get on the same page of how everything's going to work like they did with Harry and the Hendersons. And I find that amazing too to think about, you know, it took them like a year and a half to, 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 to physically conceive all these puppets and Muppets to actually make them out of latex or foam or rubber. And then you think of how long then it's going to take for the puppeteer or actor yeah. then to figure the character out. Yeah. And how the character is going to work. Well, so there's also another step in that a lot of the bigger ones, because they had never done anything like this before, like, what's the big thing with the horns or friends? She ends up acquiring oh, um, this group of friends. Uh, what's his name? Lo- Louis, uh, Lodo. Louis, Louis Do. Lodo. He was the biggest character. He's the biggest c- puppet they had ever made to be. With uh, someone inside. With, like, operated by one person. Yeah. Uh, it was just very much like where the wild things are, that character. You know? Yeah. You kind yeah. of see he's that. big. You know, like, kind of big horns, teeth. He's, he's kind of like this giant orangutan. Yeah. <laughs> but it's this big character. So what happens is it's one person inside. So they're building it, and they build, like, they basically almost finish it. And, and Jim Henson is like, how heavy is it? And they're like, it's like, oh, it's like 130 pounds. He's like, it has to be lighter. Yeah. You know, you can like, have one person in it. He's so they had seats. to remake the entire thing. Yeah. So do you get not only do they have to design, make, and then the character, and then the actors have to come up with the characters, but there's the step in between there where some of the bigger things, like that big knight thing that comes out of the door at oh, the, the end, end where yeah, they get to the That's like thing. the biggest thing they did after that that was just a, of a puppet that was all robotic. But all those things had to be done like two or three times because they had never done anything like that before. Yeah. So there was like a there was like pro- there was like a trial and error type part. And that, like the original thing they did of that big character, they made it out of fiberglass. It wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't work. But it wouldn't work because it wasn't flexible. So then they had to redo it. <laughs> and they did it with like what foam latex or something. Yeah, with like foam latex. And then it it made it look still metal, but then it was all still bendable and pliable. And uh, the Lodo, um, his he still ended up weighing like. 75 pounds. He was over plus. 75 pounds, yeah. And then they had, they took two actors, which is funny, two puppeteers who were very, they, they didn't look very like big people. No, but they designed because they have it, to be small enough to fit inside of it. They designed it enough to be around two guys, particularly so they can do, you know, they can trade off to do the performances. Yeah, yeah. So that cool. uh, it wasn't that two guys were controlling at the same time, but because it was so strenuous, basically there was two guys that would like tag team Yeah, they'd switch out. Yeah. One guy would get in and do it for a while because it was so heavy they give him a break so that they didn't have to break the whole production. They would have this other guy who was roughly the same size get in and do it. So it was actually two guys played that character, but yeah. not at the same time. Um, and yeah, along with Hoggle, I mean, th- some of the stuff is amazing and it's, it's, I, l- I loved the, the Hoggle character and later on in the eighties, uh, to give a shout out to uh, close to before he died, he did a show called The Storytellers, which I think you and I have watched. Mm-hmm. And that, if, if anybody has not seen that, Jim Henson Storytellers, they're so amazing. They, he did a series, which I, two seasons. The first one, uh, John Hurt is the narrator, and he's with a dog, and the dog's, it's a photorealistic dog, but it's like, it's like Sprocket from Fraggle Rock, and it's Brian Henson who talks, and he's kind of like uh, the, our envoy into the world. And John Hurt is the narrator, and in the second show, it's uh, season's Michael Gambon. 
the guy who took over for uh, you know doing Harry Potter when um what's his Richard Harris died the okay, head yeah. head uh, wizard, and uh, they do all uh, classical European fairy tales but lesser known ones which is cool. It's not they're like they're just yeah, doing yeah. Cinderella or whatever like that. And it's such a crazy show. It's so good and it's scary. Some of those ones like. Uh, like soldier in death, or, or you know, there's there's like they have demons, they have all kinds of death comes. So they're they, they're they're much more in the vein of the the uh, Brothers Grimm, yeah. Grimm fairy tales. Uh, but I bring it all up is because you look at like Hoggle's character, and none of this is CGI. I mean, of course, we brought up the owl being CGI yeah. and stuff like that, or like there's a scene where they do like some maybe um, they do a blue screen stuff like that. But it's all practical effects, and it's like yeah. very much like uh, you know Harry from Harry and the Hendersons, where it's yeah. like I wish they do some of that. Like Hoggle's face, if they were to do like Dick Tracy nowadays, and they were to do stuff like that, I mean that's amazing what yeah. they would be able to get. get well, rid I will of today. say that. I mean, personally, uh, um, for me, uh, and I think this is you know this will probably is a good segue into like what I said. Like I think the ultimate discussion is like you know. I feel like what's the important discussion about this movie is like the cult following nostalgia aspect of it. But what I would say uh, for me, it's like I didn't grow up with this movie. Like I remember it. I remember it being out. I think I had probably seen it on cable or whatever when I was young visiting, if I was visiting my dad or whatever. So it wasn't like I was completely blind to it, but it wasn't a movie that was incredibly important to me. Um, and I think a lot of, I think this movie, in my personal opinion, is really fucking flawed. Yeah. Like, the script is really thin. There's just a lot of stuff in it that, um, you can see why it wasn't necessarily that successful. Um, because, unfortunately, kids aren't the people that spend money on movie, <laughs> you know, to go to the movies. I think if you, if this was your movie when you were like eight, seven, eight, like, yeah, the, the problems that are with this movie aren't things that you think about when you're eight. Uh, 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 so it's like something like that doesn't, that shit doesn't matter. Like this movie is just like an amazing world and it's fantasy. Well, that's probably why it's and endeared itself. Yeah. That's to what, a like, whole I think that's like the generation of girls, it, you know, and that's why it has longevity yeah. in the long run. So looking at it now, but see, it's hard then. in an analytical way. It's incredibly flawed. But what I'm, but where I was going was like, it is like an absolute stunning work of like movie magic. Yeah, like every almost like every aspect of everything we talk about from Black Hole to uh, Last, La- Starfighter, Last Starfighter, Harry you know, Henderson's Harry Henderson. You got the makeup. You got the puppets. You have like I'm sure there's a shitload of like uh, matte painting work going on. Oh, that's another. You know, thing. you got the CGI out. It's like every, they're throwing everything. At, like they're on all. They're firing on all cylinders in this I, movie. The, I think this uh, almost all of it is flawless. The matte paintings are amazing. Um, the the certainly all the the live action puppeteer stuff is amazing. The one thing that I think does look dated. Technically, uh, which Henson Henson uh, agreed with and conceded himself is the scene with those those uh, guys that she meets that are taking the parts of the pieces apart. Yeah, and he said like you know when they did they they blue screen that because what they did was they had puppeteers over in dressed in velvet in a velvet black, background. Everything's black, so that velvet that, is the blackest material that you can't you know that's very hard to photograph. So they did a black velvet background, and all the actors were dan- to dressed yeah. in velvet. Then they 
would vacuum every shot, every take. They'd have to vacuum the area to make sure that there's no glitter, no dust, or no nothing. And then yeah. when you see the behind the scenes and they shoot it, you can't hardly even see the freaking actors that are dressed in black. Yeah. And they did the scene. Then they're, they're controlling these very Well, it's the same puppets. way that they did, you know, Invisible Man. Yeah. Back in like the 40s or 30s yeah. or whatever that is. Because the idea is like black. When you're shooting film, like the idea is that like how you get the different shades is like there's enamel on the film and then some of it gets exposed and some of it doesn't get exposed. So if you shoot it with black, that's actually portion of the actual film frame that doesn't get exposed. It's like, uh, I don't know how, what's the best way to describe it, but if you had like a black you know, piece of paper, you would take away the black paper and see what's underneath it. And so the black is something that doesn't get exposed. So then that they can do like in post-production or whatever, back in the day, they would roll the camera back and then shoot it again with the background. Yeah. And that way you have this aspect of like what was black is now being exposed and now you're seeing what. It's it, it's kind of like an abstract concept. Yeah, it's very to try technical, to explain. but it's it's <laughs> like what it's like what, it's like what you with, did with blue screen, but like before you had a blue yeah, screen. Yeah, it's like what weathermen do with yeah with with the blue screen for like say to get the map up, and it was the older way to do it. And, and Henson says that out of the movie, that's the thing that probably looks the most you know up to his par. But he just didn't want to cut it because he felt so bad because of all the work that went into all the puppeteers, yeah, the whole yeah. entire it's a whole musical sequence. It's funny because that is like the one part of the movie where like I was like dozing like, yeah I couldn't I did not give a shit about that number at all yeah and then but that's the scariest at that time that was the thing where it gets kind of freaky for people where it's but like it, you know they're getting they're, they're pulling things off themselves they're pulling they're switching heads so it's kind of scary if that's that's where it, it dives is, but like the, I can see like that being a place where like we should cut this because of like it's slowing shit down yeah because it totally slowed me down but <laughs> I mean, it didn't hurt it didn't help that we watched this thing you know pretty late i mean it is a sleepover and it's and it's another it's it, and it has elements of almost like you know return to oz like yeah you, you can well kinda, that's another movie you I know mean, all these movies you can kind of see you can kind of see like you know she takes a wrong turn and she's gonna see those ro- those dudes on the roller skates or like <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. or tiktok you know like, oh, and he, you know he's you know so it's all it's they all seem to have one foot in this world um, what really impressed me is the sequence where she she goes through she goes down this tunnel, and you think about they had to they had to cast like a thousand arms in latex, so you have like fifty or sixty people who are it's almost like what uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie is that, where there's the people in the wall, you know what I mean, and, and they're all making movements, they all look oh, like tortured yeah, souls, yeah, yeah. so you have that concept. So she's fall, she's fallen almost like down the rabbit hole, and there's all these hands that are helping her or grabbing her and stuff like that, and you know to actually conceivably shoot that, she's on a rig that she's getting pulled like I think sideways or up and down, I forget what it is, and there's actually like f- physically fifty people on the other side like yeah. doing the arms. But my point here is what I found utterly amazing, and it's like hats off to Henson. There's that whole sequence where. They're making puppets out of their fucking hands. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. And that's like, and they do, I'd say they do about 20 maybe, the different characters, and none of them are repeated. Yeah. It's a, it is, it's, there's two parts of this movie that uh, impressed me as well. There's that is, I found really impressive. And then the big stairway Escher drawing sequence towards the end. Which oh, is yeah. Kind where of like the, the, another, like the climax. Yeah. yeah. Like the display of movie fucking yeah. technique. He, they shot it out. all. They, they lit it all so that you could never get yourself <laughs> we'll get, oriented. We'll get, yeah. we'll get to that scene. But this scene is like, that's the thing. There's like a, there's a, there's like a catch 22 with Henson in that, like, um, through people that I know, I actually, 
have like I happen to know more than I should about like the puppet world. <laughs> uh, but uh, Henson made pop- puppetry so popular, but he made puppetry so popular in, in the Muppet style. When there are so many, there's like hundreds of techniques of puppetry. Like we talk about the marionettes with the, you know, Jerry, uh, Jerry Anderson. Yeah. And, and that stuff. And then you got rod puppets and, but there is this whole like art form of shadow one shadow puppets. But then there's this whole art form of making living things like with your hand, like doing this. Yeah. And so it was, um, and it's something that nobody, you know, the layman doesn't really know about, doesn't really think of, but there's this whole other aspect of puppetry, and this is one of them. And so it was really cool to see him embrace, like, this whole other aspect of puppetry in a very, one, unique, and two, very effective yeah. way, and a very visually interesting way. So that's one of my favorite sequences, too. I mean, if you think about up to 1986, um, you know, even when we, we talk about later in the 80s, he does... The, um, one of the last thing he does is they do a season of this thing called the Jim Henson Hour, which isn't available. It's on YouTube. And there's a uh, an episode that you brought up before, which is called Inside the Muppets, where Jim Henson hosts it. And he, he, he just goes behind the scenes for the kids and shows how they do everything, which is another great thing. It's like yeah. Dick Smith with um, special effects, where he's like not hiding any of his secrets. I'll show you everything. Yeah. But there's a sequence in that. And uh, that's on YouTube, and we'll, we'll put it as an extra in this cast. You can go watch it. But they're they're showing like the just the beginnings of CGI and what you can do with you know com- moving your hand and what translates onto yeah. a computer movements and that gets into almost like rotoscoping and then what you see now with how the Hen- Jim Henson legacy or the companies move forward and they do now shows where on Sesame Street they do a lot of the vignettes are completely um, CGI and then you have that show on PBS called Sid and the Science Kid which is complete CGI too, but it has elements of realism because the movements of the people walking and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's almost like a form of rotoscoping. And it's so weird you see in 89 them embracing, this is what's going to be popular once the computers get up to speed. Yeah. So for 86 to see Henson using everything that's out there. So it's, you're not getting a whole movie that's like The Muppet Show or Sesame Street where it's yeah, you know, yeah. live actors just talking to people with hand puppets. You have hand puppets for the trolls. You have certainly forced perspective in that one scene where she's talking to the, uh, to the, to the worm. Yeah. You have huge physical puppets like this uh, Lodor or the big one that comes out, the armored one. Yeah. Or you even have the Hoggle puppet you know, so he's he's kind of using yeah, animatronics. I mean, it really you know, is. Like I said, it's. There's, like I think there's some marionettes there as well. They're embracing know? like everything, every way, every technique they have that they're disposable. And they're they're really doing a great job with it. I mean, the limitation of that one scene with the with the it's just because at the time it was that hard to to, to do you know uh, uh, black backgrounds with you know yeah, with yeah. blue screens, green screens, or in this case they're using black. You know, but you give that five or six years, that probably would have been flawless. And they yeah. do a lot of that now on Sesame Street. You see a lot of that crazy stuff where they'll they'll have you know puppets and the puppeteers are dressed in black, and then they'll they'll just key them out and they'll put like a background up. Like that's a real yeah. technique now. So so she keeps going through this labyrinth, and it's very much like it's almost riddles and clues, but it's not very you know it's not like the never ending story where it's like freaky is all fucked. <laughs> Which we should we didn't even yeah. need to do that one at some point. So you know, she meets, that was a movie that I remember. Yeah, but, but I mean, it's like you see it. all these. This is like a you know, you open like a case, and like we're saying, you have Return to Oz, you have freaking um, uh, 
what's the net with the with the little guys that are time, time bandits. bandits? You have this. You have freaking uh, never ending story. You have uh, there's another one that we brought up before. You know, um, not Fisher King, uh, Princess Bride. Yeah, so you yeah. have all these movies that are just so. There is there is a very fantasy driven thing at that period in in film history yeah. like for kids you and know. i don't not really sure what's motivating it i mean well, we cert- had legend too we, yeah, it legend. certainly wasn't uh an area that i was particularly i mean i guess we had like dungeons and dragons was becoming popular yeah that was and then big. there was a dungeons and dragons cartoon show on Saturday yeah morning, but for, so. certainly for girls this thing is like you know you you can well, certainly yeah. see yourself being this jennifer connelly wanting to be a princess or an actress because that's what, you know, girls when they're little, they do, they act out stuff. And so you're going on this. Well, I think that's, you know, that's the interesting thing is that like, you know, how this move, how this movie came about for us to do as an episode of the show is we were talking about, we should do, I think we were both thinking of it and then we never really discussed it until <laughs> one of us brought it up and we were both had it in the back of our mind that we should do like a chick flick. Yeah. You know, like whenever you go online and you look up like like sleepover movies, you're not getting the kinds of movies that we get like no. in the Google search. You're getting like girl sleepovers. Yeah, dirty you know? dance. I guess guys weren't allowed to sleep over even though we did. Yeah. <laughs> and so you get like these. Uh, and so my initial uh, what I intended was like, oh, we should do my thought process. Like we'll do like 16 Candles yeah, or, pink or, or, you know, something like that. Or we go, you know, even, you know, more recent, like, like bring it on or yeah. so, you know. Yeah. yeah, like do like a girl movie that way. And then so we started talking to girls and trying to figure out like, well, what movies would be uh, a good idea? And then you brought up the fact that like, you know, what's a big girl movie is Labyrinth. And uh, so that's how this came about. And I think it's really interesting that like that fantasy world. And I guess I get it because a lot of girls that I that I know or, or have known, you know, like into like fairies and and stuff because yeah, the whole vampire thing too as well like you know girls love because like like my big thought was like why is it that girls really embrace this movie but like you said it's a, it's a female character um they got this fantasy thing there's like the goblin king but it's david bowie so he's like really dreamy yeah <laughs> you know he's and then we have like the big ballroom scene which is like her well, fantasy and like every girl wanted that dress and that dress is almost you know she has that little like um it's almost like the 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 with the, the jewel box that opens and plays a tune. It's yeah. like, you know, so every girl dreamed of themselves being dressed up in that dress. Yeah, it's like being you know, the princess. Certainly, I think the musical numbers too. All the girls can sing this by heart. The mu- so it's like, yeah, the, yeah. you know, so you get an element of like grease in there where it's like you're able to get up and dance. And, so, uh, yeah. You know, I mean, like, so it, 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 it kind of feeds to all the things the girls like. You know, you have the, 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 the bad guy who's the Goblin King, hence the vampire, sexy, but he's seductive, but he's dangerous. And you have this uh, world where it's the fantasy world with fairies and, and your your teddy bears and stuff that come yeah, to life. Yeah, there's like in a lot of the you know, Muppets, even though they're goblins or whatever, they're cute. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're so. on this journey where you're trying to, you know, I mean, this in this situation, she's trying to get her brother back or, you know, she's trying to take responsibility. She's also, it's it's kind of a coming to age film because she's kind of leaving behind her her childhood, but at then at the very well, end, she she's does, not. It's like yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. always be here for you. So it's always like don't. It, I guess maybe they're saying don't completely yeah. forget your roots. It's a little. I could see that. I never really put it. I never really thought about it in the perspective of like coming of age. But she is like she's she well, is they, learning responsibility, and they purposely and cast her that way too. Yeah. They wanted it to be. You know, we talk about they had. Um, Helena Bottom Carter auditioned for this. Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, Marissa Tomei, Laura Dern, Ali Sheedy, all these people, and they finally picked her 
because she is, you know, gorgeous at 14, but she is on the cusp of becoming, you know, a beautiful woman, but then she yeah. still has the child elements, you know? And it's, and you know, it's really weird too. You watch the behind the scenes. They did a, uh, a behind-the-scenes documentary that came out at the same time for television called Inside the Labyrinth, and it's on the Blu-ray. Uh, Which had to, must have been, I can't. It was. It's like an hour long. Yeah, it was like on, a full hour though. So like, was it like an hour and a half on television? Oh, <laughs> like, well, I, it's, I think it's like fifty-six breaks? minutes or something. So maybe it played like on HBO or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, like because remember Henson had ties to HBO with Fraggle True. Rock and um, Good point. the uh, Emmett Otter, and then in England, if it would have played there, there. To this day, their commercial structure is nearly not like ours. Yeah, they yeah. only have one or two. So, but you see behind the scenes, um, what's her face? Jennifer Connelly. She's speaking a couple things she says. She's saying with a British accent because she moved over there to do. So she was there for like six months filming. Yeah. So she has one or two things she says with a British accent. And I wonder, as her being a young girl, you know, becoming a teenager, if she secretly found this is me, pure speculation. If she found David Bowie very sexy and appealing, and it's like it's you know, she's maybe could have had a crush on him. And then you go to learn who did Jennifer Connolly end up going to marry. She ends up marrying Paul Bettany. Uh-huh. So it's like, you know, he's a British dude who kind of looks like David Bowie. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's, you <laughs> know, so it's like, I, I wonder, I wonder, I mean, I'm just completely extrapolating here, talking out loud, but it's, I wonder like where that, you know, in a couple of years, David Bowie, if they met her like around Rocketeer, he's like, remember when we were. <laughs> You know, that was your, yeah, great movie. So, um, you know, to, to get it forward, she, she, she goes through all these different worlds. She meets, like, door guards, and she has to do that very famous riddle where one, I only lie, I only tell the truth, which one is it? Um, she goes into this world where she's underground, and she gets um, stuck in this thing called the Yougalette. Uh, uh, y- I'm pronouncing yeah. it so wrong. It's a French word, a Yougalette, uh, uh, and it's... Basically, in real life, it's a dungeon where uh, the, the half of the word comes from French, and it means to forget. And that's what they used to do in the old days. They make these dungeons where, much like the last Batman movie, the uh, Dark Knight Rises, oh, yeah, yeah. where he's stuck in that situation. And what it is, it's, it's basically like a hole in the ground, and they have a dungeon down there. And once they put the person in there, the person, 99% of the time, can't get out without help from an outside source, like a rope or whatever. So a lot of times, they put prisoners in there, and they forget about them, and they'd starve to death. So that's where that, you know, where they, in that sequence where they get stuck down there. And then they get closer and closer. They do all these different elements where the, I love the part where they're in the underground sewers and then the cleaners come and it's a big, like, freaking, you know, screw cleaning stuff. And then they're able to, at the last second, get out of the way. And as it goes by, it's just like five, like, like, you know, short little (laughs) goblins, like, you know, controlling everything, like, you know, like a clock. It looks like it's made like this giant, like, capsule, but it's just like this drill head. (laughs) It's just drill head. And then behind it, it's like, you know, with wooden, like, you know, like, you know, they're just like controlling it, pushing it along. So, uh, you know, and then we get to the sequence you said about like when she's in the ballroom and David Bowie and David Bowie's throwing more stuff out at her. And um, until this viewing of the movie, I didn't realize that there is this huge um, thing in it, which I don't know. It, it, it must have been the biggest Easter egg I've ever seen where there's seven sequences in the movie where you can see David Bowie's face. And one of them is very pr- prominent. Or like they cut to the thing, and it's like, holy shit, it's David Bowie. And then the camera pans, and you realize it's it's actually like three or four rocks. Yeah, it's yeah. Perspective. And then in the same shot, they pan off of it. She says some lines. They come back, and David Bowie's standing there. Yeah. So it's almost like the, you know, where you see his face, he's watching her, and then he can like like kind of like yeah. conjure himself up and like have a chat with her. Mm-hmm. But for people who care, if you want to pause and get a piece of paper, 
and come back, there's seven places where you can see David Bowie's face, and you're going to have to look really hard, but... Well, uh, the one you just mentioned, it's... It's the biggest. It's, it's the yeah, most. It's right, the, it's most clear. Yeah, but you have uh, 22 minutes and exactly you can see his face. On a, and these are all long shots, so so it's all it looks like matte paintings, like really like establishing shots, you can see this. But some of them you have to look really hard, and I promise you they're there. You might have to go online and find somebody, because some people have circled them online. So the first one's 22 minutes exactly in. The next one is 3740, you can see it. The third one is 4103, you can see. The fourth one is 4455. The next one, which is the clear one we just talked about, is 4830. The next one is 5601. And then the last one you can see, the seventh one is uh, 10255, 102 minutes and 55 seconds in. You can see Bowie's face. So, and it's, it's, different elements of her going through this labyrinth. And, and believe know. me, I had to sit there while Dion paused I know. frame by frame. And you're like, I can't see. Is that it? Yeah. Is that <laughs> you're cleaning your glasses, and you're like, I'm it's looking. It's like, Dion, three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Please. Just watch the movie. When is this going to end? <laughs> so, uh, um, no, it's there. Look. Yeah, I look, and you're like, oh, yeah, it is there. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, and like we said, the biggest one that, that you see is that one. Uh, so, and then it kind of wraps up where she's able to – unbeknownst to Bowie, didn't think she could, but she's able to get through this labyrinth, do the different things. She meets all these people. She gets a gang together, much like a Wizard of Oz. Yeah. You know, this this game of scrappers, you know, that she's able to help in whatever way. She meets um, the other little guy who I love. Um, uh, oh, what the hell is his name? Sir, uh, Sir uh, Didymus? Didymus? And he looks like my dog, a little Yorkshire Terrier, the little guy with the patch. Yeah. And he's very funny where he's on the dog and it's all very – he's like a knight – um, and you know, they, she ends up getting to the, to the, to the, uh, to the castle. And then there's this ballroom sequence. And one of the other biggest things, the surprises that I've, I didn't know in this complete movie is that the person who choreographed <laughs> yeah. and did the, 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 the puppet supervised the puppet movements in this movie is billed as Cheryl McFadden. Uh-huh. And then two years later, she shows up in an episode of Quantum Leap, and she also shows up billed as Gates McFadden on uh, Next Generation as, as Beverly Crusher. Crusher. And I don't know what her what her story is prior to like you know doing these roles of acting, but in this movie, she's if you watch that behind the scenes, the story of Inside the Labyrinth. I mean, yeah, you could see her all over the place. Yeah, and yeah. she's it's freaking she's Beverly choreographing Crusher. the ballroom scene. Yeah, and then other stuff with when the it looks like when the little people or other puppeteers are in the outfits she's trying to help them you know this looks more realistic if you do it this way and here have a walk and i'll show you how it looks and she's very hands-on with all that so i wonder and that's all it looks like in the english when they're shooting stuff in london so i wonder what her role in the world is did she come into the you know maybe she was a career in choreography call her up yeah well that's gonna be my question if i ever meet her should we we interview yeah we'll we'll, we'll phone in you know have a call because it's so weird because you know she she ends up and you know where's beverly crusher is gates and i wonder why she changed her name from cheryl to gates it's one of these things where she thinks that's a bigger movie already had a cheryl gate uh, cheryl mcfadden i don't know that happens a lot there's already somebody in sag is already named that an actor so you have to be like cheryl G. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's why you see like middle names and stuff. Um, and that, that, yeah. And that, that ballroom scene is kind of really interesting because it's like this fantasy sequence. It's a dream. It's the only time you have, um, uh, human actors 
Yeah, it, but they're all wearing masks, so it's like this weird dreamlike exaggeration of the things that she's been experiencing within the labyrinth. The people, yeah. she's the wearing goblins. Nose. She's wearing like the masquerade masks you see in Venice with the long noses, but they're all like you're saying distortions of the various Gob- goblins, goblins she's and stuff. So it's like it's a very weird. It's and very then David Bowie shows up. I mean, beautifully photographed. Yeah, sequence. and then they're dancing around. They're doing like it's pretty much they're waltzing, and David Bowie's like, you know, I'll give you anything. And blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and we should also mention the the, the gentleman who does the. Uh, the juggling in the movie. David yeah. Bowie does this, this, this juggling. Michael Motion, Motion, yeah. Motion, Michael Motion, and he's a juggler. And he, uh, there's there's scenes in the movie where David Bowie has these little spheres that look like um, almost crystal balls. Yeah, they're and like he's, little glass. He's balls. playing around. He can throw them, and they can do things. And uh, I guess how they did it was they had the juggler just hide behind David Bowie yeah, and uh, put his arm through David Bowie's sleeve. Yeah, and he <laughs> and then he did stuff in front of the camera for it, but. Unlike, he had, I guess, the hardest job out of everybody because unlike a puppeteer where they can watch their performance on a monitor or see what they're doing, this guy had to do it blind. He had yeah. to actually, like, not see. Like, why they couldn't just put a screen behind David Bowie on the floor so that the yeah. guy could look. But maybe uh, the way that the way that works, maybe seeing it from that pr- a different perspective would, would wouldn't, have been, wouldn't have been helpful anyway. Yeah, they, must have, they must have had to. Discuss you know, it with him. Yeah, you want to you want to monitor? <laughs> he's like, no. But so there's these scenes which are amazing, where he's like not looking at his hands and he's concentrating at the floor and he's doing these crazy things with the ball. And then you see the scenes where he puts his hands through and there's a, these outtakes. And you got to admit as well as like how it goes to show how nice of a guy David Bowie is because they must have did hundreds of takes when yeah, they're trying to do this thing. He keeps on dropping the ball, you know, because yeah. you can't see it. So they have a million takes. So it's like David Bowie would deliver a line. <laughs> And then the guy would go, go to do the ball and drop it. And then there's a, a person off camera with a box full of glass balls. He's handing another one. <laughs> and he starts it again. It's funny because even David Bowie, there's a couple scenes where he delivers the line. He's he's delivering it with a half a smile because he thinks he's and then the guy drops it and he's like, ah. And like, and it's like, you know. So the guy must have had. And then the guy, you, you cut to the guy and you can see him. He's like, shit. And he's like taking it all very seriously. But, I mean, it's freaking awesome the things he's doing yeah, with yeah. those balls. you know. And to think that the, none of that's, that's all practical. Yeah. None of that's you know. Like Nowadays it would be CGI. It'd yeah, be yeah, like yeah, a glass yeah. sphere. Yeah, that's a cartoon, and somebody's just like waving their hand around. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's it's so amazing the stuff that this is literally a time capsule for. If they made that f- even five years later or ten years later, almost all this would be CGI, and it, and, it, and it'd be very dated CGI. It'd be sad. So. She ends up, uh, you know, she gets to the castle. She says no to D- David Bowie's kind of be really enticing to her. He's like, you know, fear me. Let me be your your ruler. I'll be your slave. I'll give you everything you ever wanted. And she says no. She wants her, you know, her, her brother back. And she ends up getting the brother back. And she brings him home just in time. And, and uh, this is the big, long Escher yeah. painting stairwell stairways yeah. that don't well you know right before that she goes to that junkyard and i found those people and again that's incredibly frightening <laughs> yeah see what i mean there's these elements that are very along with those other people who can take their the fireies i think they're called who can take their hands and arms yeah, off yeah. the junk people the women are freaky and it's what's really freaky about them is well, they're hoarders yeah they're carrying all this stuff on their back and you know of course they're it's puppets. like everything they own is yeah on their back. and then she runs through a door and she thinks she's in her room and it, she is in her room but then she opens the door again, and she realizes the room is in the in the junk pile. So one of these hoarders comes in with her, which I find very frightening. Yeah. And she starts giving her stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, everything. Oh, you need this. You need this. And it's all her memories. Yeah. So it's it's freakier to think that these the concept of these hoarders are that they're carrying their life on their shoulders. So the the hoarder starts giving her, "Oh, you want you, Mr. Cookie? You want blah blah blah? You want your board game?" And they start 
piling it on yeah, her. Yeah, so they're trying to make her one of these like old woman. And orders. it's working at first because I mean, if she listened to them and she said, "Yeah," and it's it's I, I can you can almost find it was in my in, it was the most disturbing thing in the movie for me. Like I thought that play, that the concept of that. Well, yeah, because the concept so scary because it's freaky. Because if she were like acquiesce and go along with them, she'd be what in this world forever of. You know, she's in the limbo of everything she has. She has in her back. The idea is, spoiler alert, much like the poison apple, David Bowie gives Hoggle this, like, poison peach or nectarine. Which I find hilarious that he can never say the guy's name. Hogwarts? (laughs) No. (laughs) Purposely saying it wrong. It's much like when we talked about Dutch. Dutch never can get uh, the guy. uh, Doyle's name. uh, Right. But but instead of, like, killing her or putting her to sleep, this peach makes her forget everything. Yeah. So she doesn't really know. She doesn't really remember why she's there, that her brother's been kidnapped. And so she doesn't remember any of this. So then she runs across this old woman. So she doesn't even know really what's going on. And that's what's that's what's like scary about it. It's like she has forgotten her mission. When she gets into her room, she starts remembering things. She sees David Bowie's picture on the mirror with her mother. She sees things. But then this other woman, this hoarder's in there. And they're saying, no, you want this, you want this. And she's remembering all these memories. And then she starts stacking them up on top of Jennifer uh, Connolly. And it's actually kind of working. Yeah, yeah. You know, where it's like starting to build itself. And then she's like, no, no, I'm here for a reason. And she kind of snaps herself out of it. And then that's kind of like, I guess, you know, she finally gets to the gates of the the castle. And then, you know, David Bowie sends his army down to try to fight him. And then there's this great sequence where it's like, again, you think of these sets they must have built, these elaborate, you know, camera tricks and the forced perspective. And they put the camera on the side. And then just it's, you know, it's like it's a technological, like old school filmmaking, like optical illusion marvel. Yeah. When they get to this climax of with uh, with Bowie. Yeah. When they get to to her just showdown with Bowie and they get into the the, the painting of um, Eckner's. Where they're, uh, you know, it's uh, the stairs are everywhere, and she's trying to get around. And then how they shot it, they lit it so that you can never, everything looks right, so you can never get your orientation of which yeah, way they're yeah. going. And they have, uh, they do effects where they have a guy sideways, like on a pulley, and they can they pull a, a David Bowie look like right out of frame first, and you quickly you can't really tell it's yeah. him. But then David Bowie shows up, and it's just they try to do a very similar Escher type uh, stair sequence, I believe, in Dream Child. Friday the third, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street five, I think. I wonder if that's uh, it's one know. of the later ones. I think it might be five, but it's like they try to do uh, they do like an Escher stairway sequence nightmare. Yeah. So I mean, it was a very popular. I mean, I always remembered that kind of image. Yeah, and it's 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 amazing at the end of it too because he's singing too. It's like another one of the songs he does near the end. So just just you think of the headache of trying to choreograph all that. With you know uh, shooting that with David Bowie singing the tape you know the, to the to the track that they recorded and then they're trying to sync it all together later and all the camera tricks and all that it's just a real technical marvel and it kind of highlights you know the, just the the talent Henson had to just do all this this visual marvels and the feat of stuff he was able to to to, uh, to do so he ends up you know she ends up getting um her brother back in time and then you know there's this little like nice like coda at the end of it where she's she sees the people in the mirror and then they're like you know we'll always be here with you and then she turns around and it's almost like everybody's there she's like well if you ever need us you know we'll be here and then she's like I need you now and, and then, Hogwarts like you need you now and he's like really you and really even the us? goblins are there yeah well so, yeah <laughs> I was gonna say, it's, like, it's the whole world's like alright you know and David Bowie's there as the owl outside and I noticed too his a lot of his costumes um, the changes, some of them looked very like, especially that last outfit he's in when he's 
confronting her. It's very owl-esque, like the colors yeah. and all that. And he's always wearing those riding. They look like horse riding, equestrian pants that are like highlighting his package. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I thought you know, I thought everybody put a solid performance. Jennifer Connelly's freaking amazing in the movie. Yeah, for, Bowie's for amazing young actress. You know, and even Henson said like you know there was no kind of like uh, offset of trying to work around her feelings or her moods or whatever. He can talk to her like an adult. She was very open. Uh, she must have had amazing patience for a lot of the scenes with the setups and stuff like that. Well, it was funny when he says that he's like you know I could talk to her like an adult. I wasn't. You know, I imagine like her. I don't know how many movies she made before this, but two of them is she's she did Once Upon a Time in America. That's yeah, like her first movie with Sergio Leone. Yeah, and she made a movie uh, with Dario Argento. So she, the directors she worked with beforehand, were probably not very uh, sympathetic. <laughs> yeah, you know the two direct, Italians who direct, directors. I think both Sergio Leone and I think Argento don't. Re- well, Argento speaks. Does he? He speaks kind of like broken he, English. He speaks a little bit of English. I don't but think Sergio he's Leone. also very much like. Uh, you know, a very much of like the Hitchcock, like actors are cattle kind of way. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, and everybody. I mean, it's it's you know, the, the, I was going to say the Sir uh, Didymus is the little guy who I love, who reminds me of my dog, and he's hilarious in the movie. And Ludo, we said as well. So it's, yeah, it's just it's it's amazing all the little uh, people and in, in the and the uh, the world he's able to 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 to, to fabricate here, but. The movie comes out and it opened, you know, eighth in the box office the first weekend uh, behind Karate Kid Part 2, Back to the Future, uh, Legal Eagles, Ruthless People, Running Scared, Top Gun, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And that's the opening weekend. Next weekend, it, 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 it was dropped the 13th, and it didn't really, like you said, it, it only ended up making like a little over $12 million with a $25 million budget. It did pretty well in England, but... It really, really demoralized, and sadly, it really just put Henson in a bad place. And yeah. this is the last thing he directed uh, theatrically, feature length. And even though, like they said, by 90, you know, video stores and stuff existed. So his son, Brian, said that even by 90 before he died, like, there was already building a cult following. So he knew that the film had a following. Imagine had he lived, and he would get to see like how big this movie has been. I, I know. mean, like the uh, legacy of this movie is kind of huge. In that, like, since 1997, there's an annual two-day masquerade ball called the Labyrinth of Jareth, where uh, revelers come dressed in costumes inspired by the film. Crazy! That's amazing. Uh, it's held in Hollywood. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on this month because it's the 30th anniversary. If you guys go on the internet, I know it. Um, in England, there's a lot of stuff going on, as well as in, in America. There's a lot of the screenings, and people are dressing up in, in January, specifically 2000, uh, 2016, that we're recording this. So if anyone's interested in going to see stuff, you know, check immediately because it's going to be out and about. There's a manga, a Return of Labyrinth manga comic book series that ran from 2006 yeah, four, four to Yeah, four, four mangas. That, that's, it kind of picks up where uh, this left off, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, the film has a significant internet following, uh, fan following with fan fiction, stuff like that. People Huge fan fiction. <laughs> continuing, like, writing their own And they did, like, a, a pseudo-sequel called Mirror Mash or a Mirror Mash? Well, yeah, well, I think what happened with that was this film called Mirror Mask, uh, 2005, and the uh, the idea was originally th- that because the video releases, the home video releases, made so much money that they're like, let's make a sequel, and they were going to do like a direct sequel to it called uh, Curse of the Goblin. Um, but eventually, they decided like, let's just make a film that kind of feels like this, and not make it a direct sequel. And they have um, Neil Gaiman, yeah, 
uh, who I think in, uh, did like the Sandman. Yeah, comics. He did, yeah, huge in the industry of uh, you know for comics and gold. I think he did Goldfish. He did a whole bunch of. Oh, I think he wrote stuff. it and stuff, and I don't. Even, I never really heard of it until we were kind of did a little bit of research. But apparently, it came out in two thousand five. It's called Mirror Mask. It's not a sequel, but it, its original inception was that it was going to be a sequel, and then it kind of came and had a life of its own. Um, so it's a it's a movie that has lasted. Um, There's even uh, Henson did something on his own. He did an unpublished screenplay called Tale of Sand that never got made, and um, in 2012, they adapted it into a graphic novel called Jim Henson's Tale of Sand. So anybody out there who are graphic novel fans and Jim Henson fans, go check out this thing that they put out as a graphic novel, which was a screenplay he wrote that he never filmed. It's one of those great... And the, and the soundtrack has lasted, too. I know, like we said, it's dated and it's weird and it's not Bowie's best work, but you know, it's still selling. They're still re-releasing it and stuff like that, remasters. And Bowie well, says... Every every Christmas, he sees a new flock of kids come up and say, "Hey, you're from you know Labyrinth through Jareth." So it's, yeah, it has it's this, uh, you know it's one thing, and you know, and, and we live in a kind of a world and uh, an industry that you know everything is on the, those initial box office, like especially worth, nowadays, like worth, like what's like the worth of something, yeah. the value of how something. does it? How, they determine it like how even if it's a piece of shit, if it does well that weekend. Then it it has staying power for sequels or whatever. Yeah, it, it's it's like it's a, such a crappy thing that it's yeah you should engage like value. art by monetarily. And it's just like you hear something like this, and when we didn't, we talked about it with John Carpenter's The Thing, how that was a big flop. But these films develop a following and they have longevity. And even with Rocky, you know, we talked about how like you know Rocky wa- lost all of its major all the major awards other than Best Picture to the network. Which Network is a fine movie, not to take anything away from Network, and Network is a great film that people still talk about, but not the way that people talk about Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And Network now is slightly dated as well. I mean, it's it's some people it's say it's very um, uh, topical or very t- today with, you know, I'm mad yeah. as hell, I don't want to take any more of that sequence. But if you watch it all, it is kind of dated for the era of the late yeah, 70s. but my point is, like, yeah. these movies, like A Labyrinth, <coughs> excuse me, you know, it's still it's got staying power yeah and, and the fact that it wasn't a box office success has nothing to do with it. and that. it's so sad you think of how much of a nice guy henson was and then for him to really put all his all into this and put like at least three years of his life into this movie and I mean, this i guess goes for any director or writer yeah. and then something like this happens and you put all of it in it you know and um and it comes out and it's not really you know the best thing you know i've I, i've always heard the um i think it was Maybe Tom Waits said that, like, you know, when you do a movie, you know, basically, you know, you're bringing ingredients into, like, a big pan. And then you're just putting what you want, you know, you're putting your part in, and then it goes in the oven. And you go away, and you wait six months, you wait a year, and then it comes out of the oven. And then you don't know how it's going to be. Is it going to be good or is it not going to be good? So a lot of times, you don't know until, you know, you put it out. And it's sad that you see, like, this, you know, it didn't do well. And maybe for whatever reason... You know, Legend the year before didn't do well, and uh, I don't know how. I, I don't think Time Bandits was that well received. Well, that's another out, way. You know, we should do Time Bandits because yeah. that movie is bizarre. And no, like even it, seeing, and that it's so big for our generation. I mean, it's such not a kids movie. Same year, I you know that's frightening. Parts of <laughs> parts of the like the the end of uh, of of uh, Time Bandits when the parents get zapped away in the po- toaster. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Um, and even like the same year of this movie, uh, Labyrinth, you have um, uh, Return to Oz. That I don't know how that's billed as a child's movie, but they're yeah, giving yeah. this freaking girl freaking ECT shock therapy, and that's what's bringing her back 
to Oz, and then she meets, you know, the, the you know, the Oz is destroyed, and uh, she meets the, 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 the queen who's collects heads, and she puts different heads. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. fucked and fucking weird. <laughs> it's really just, and yet, I, I mean, know. this is a time where we, we say this all the time, about, and we always bring it up, and we use the 80s as an example, that you can get away with anything. You can pitch anything you want to a child. You know, I think we just said that with um, gremlins. maybe gremlins, you know? It's like, let's come up with the, the most fucked up idea, and we're going to, you know, make it a kid's movie. And people are like, you know, but I guess it's, you think about, like, the Brothers Grimm, like, the, if you go read those fairy tales, yeah, well, those are like, I mean, they're made to, like, to tell, for kids to learn what to do, what not to do, not to talk to strangers. I think it's also a very important, I think they form, a, they, they play a very important function of, like, of of fear and yeah. you know getting kids ready for fucked up things. learn yeah and have them like learn about like if things you, if yeah and the fact that like you can be you know the fact that like fear is not necessarily like this horrible thing and that it's a healthy thing and being scared and you know you, if you lived in a complete like you know capsule and you didn't have access to these kinds of things you would come out like. I don't know. F- scared of the world. It's like being if you, there. If you There's that Peter Sellers I mean, movie, you know, where <laughs> you're just you're. It's all like, yeah, it's just for. It's awkward. And these these kind of stories certainly are these movies kind of get children ready for the. And I don't think you know we we're talking about how like those the 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 fairy tales being kind of fucked up, and these movies are very much in that tradition. Oh yeah, it's just like carrying on this tradition of these scary stories. And yeah. I think I do think that they they kind of do have a very specific like sociological function yeah. for kids. I think in a way, yes, it's screwed up and it's fucked up. And now there's like, it's a whole other discussion about like kids being uh, introduced to, you know, how they're, what they're shown and stuff. But uh, you and I growing up in an age where like our parents didn't really regulate what we watched and we turned out okay. At least I'd like to think we, <laughs> we did. But I think those things are very important to kind of like the development of a child's mind. Yeah. Um, and it is it is screwed up, but I think in a way... Yeah, it, I guess it, in the long run helps them. It's yeah. Like they need to learn these life lessons in some form early enough. And they need to be scared. Yeah, to understand that. Because they'll end up being scared of everything if yeah. they're not... I guess given you, little doses like a, like a, like the uh, yeah you see like a lot of the fault that you see the world is with now or you know uh, helicopter moms or all this kind of stuff or you know over parenting and you see be, well, if you don't let the kid just be a kid and grow up the way you you know you're supposed to then you see the problems that as the kid gets older he doesn't realize he thinks he's going to win every time if he has a temper tantrum he's going to get his way no matter what even when he gets into like the workforce yeah. and I all think these you kids need to be showed up yeah. showed, screwed up things every now and then yeah I mean you know they need to, they need to shit their pants and <laughs> stay up with the lights up for the you know thinking that Freddy Krueger's under their bed because they learned that it's not yeah Freddy Krueger's not under their bed most most of the time yeah. you know and so this came out and thank the Lord that this didn't really spell any kind of end for Henson's career. It didn't really hurt him, you know. Yeah, yeah. It was just a dud, and it's like, okay. He went on, of course, to do Muppet Babies, which we love, Fraggle Rock, which is great. Uh, in the late 80s, like we said, he did The Storyteller uh, in 88, and then he did the Jim Henson Hour, which was on for like 13 episodes in 89, which has this Inside the Muppets that we've been re- referring to, which will be in the cast. And I then a link so that you can watch yeah, it. Yeah, so you can watch it. Uh, and then, in, if you remember, in the early 90s, he came up with an idea for a show, which was originally titled The Natural History Project, but it was a, 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 a sitcom about dinosaurs. And it, Remember that show, Dinosaurs? Oh, yeah, dinosaurs. It was kind of like a, 
honeymooners, but you're just like, you know, yeah, dinosaurs. Completely bizarre show, which yeah. I think it, it was for a while. Yeah, not the baby, is, not the baby. But it was on Not the Mama. Not the, is that Not the Mama? Sorry. <laughs> not the Mama. Uh, it was on Netflix. I don't know if it still is. And it was like an ABC. Like that. Yeah, it was a like sitcom. A, it, was a, it was a week, like a weeknight sitcom. Yeah, and it was kind of very much like a honeymooners route. Or like a you know, Or like a Flintstones kind yeah. of a, you know. And that, that was sitcom. all out of him post uh, 91. Uh, sadly, I think many of us know, but, you know, uh, around 1990, uh, he, he, May 4th, he appears on, uh, Arsenio Hall, Jim Henson, and it's one of his last performances. He gets home, uh, to New York and, uh, he's not feeling well at one night. Uh, May 15th, he wakes up at two in the morning. He's having problems breathing. He's coughing up blood. Uh, he, he suggests to his life, wife, I think jokingly that he could, might be dying, but he didn't want to, uh, make, uh, any time to go to the hospital. He, he kind of, um putting it off two hours later you know they he finally agrees to go to the hospital so they bring him to the hospital in new york city and he's admitted at four in the morning and he can't breathe on his own at this point and he's and they x-ray him and they find these abscesses on his lungs so they put him on a ventilator to breathe they, they give him a whole shitload of antibiotics but nothing happens uh, nothing works and then he dies 24 hours later and um he dies at age 53 uh, on may 16th 1990 uh, ending a 36-year career and he ends up dying to uh, streptococcal uh, toxic shock syndrome. So streptococcal pneumonia is what he had. It's this bacteria that uh, causes strep throat, scarlet fever, uh, rheumatic fever, and other infections. And he must have had it in his lungs, and he wasn't getting himself treated. And Well, the story always was, and this is, you know, not to, this is, like, we're not making any specific, I'm not making any kind of, like, judgments or anything on like religion, but the story always oh, was yes. that he was like a Christian scientist. He was whatever. brought up that way. He was brought up in the way that like God will, if you're sick, like God yeah. will fix you. And so he, uh, apparently he had had, he was sick and he had pneumonia and he didn't want to, and get he it. didn't, they didn't really go into a doctor. Wasn't it? wasn't the thing that he thought about now, his kids because have, of his upbringing, his kids have countered that by saying that he wasn't since his, I guess, high school or college, he wasn't practicing, but they do think because of that upbringing, he felt like he didn't want to bother people. Yeah. And that was the reason why, you know, he didn't want to be a bothersome and make time to go and get help or whatever. And it's it's almost like I think the same thing kind of happened with Bob Marley, where he had that issue with his foot and he didn't go get it treated and then ended up killing him. Maybe he had like yeah, yeah. gangrene or a tumor on his foot. So, I mean, that's always been the story is yeah. that he didn't, uh, he never, he, he didn't go had, see treatment. Had he, when he seen treatment when he was sick, yeah. when he started to get sick. He brought a cat antibiotics. But you, you hear that but with a lot of people because you know, a lot of people get sick and they Some don't want to go. Some people just don't. It doesn't occur to them to go to the doctor. Yeah, you know, you get sick and you don't realize. Religion. You know, okay, I got a, I got strep throat. I'm, you know, and then you realize, you know, you don't go to the doctor. You have like walking pneumonia. And it's yeah, like holy yeah. shit. So, a lot of times people don't want to be like a, a hypochondriac and like, am I, am I going to die? Am I sick? And then, but then at the same time, it's like no. You, there is a time when you should go seek medical treatment yeah, for yeah. stuff. And sadly, he didn't. So that's what it is. I mean, the the, the story is that like. He had something that could have been treated had they caught it. Had he had he gone to the doctor early enough? That's the story. Yeah, and then he you know he passed away and it was a shock to everybody. And uh, you know uh, his his work certainly uh, you know goes on. I mean he just finished that it opened up in 1991 that I saw in in Orlando that at the time was the MGM Studios. They had the Muppets 3D ride and he had just finished that and that's great. I don't know if that's still down there. I saw it in like ninety two, ninety three. Yeah, yeah. But that was 
part of what he did. We just talked about, I think, in the Gremlins cast, the, the very Muppet Christmas he did in 87. He was part of that, which I absolutely love. Yeah. And then, he, you know, other stuff um, was goes on that he was a part of. Certainly the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 1990, the original, uh, was all out of his creature shop. And then the, the second one, Secret of the Ooze, is dedicated to him. And then the Michael Caine Christmas Carol they did in the early 90s is also dedicated to him. And then... Um, he has a hollow. He has a, a star on the Walk of Fame, Hollywood Walk of Fame, uh, in two places, and he's the only other person aside from Walt Disney, Mel Blanc, and Mike Myers who have this because Henson has one for himself and one for Kermit the Frog, where Walt had one for himself and one for Mickey Mouse. Mel Blanc had one for himself and one for Bugs Bunny, and then Mike Myers, I guess, has one for himself and one for Shrek. So they fit him into that category. <laughs> okay. uh, I f- I would think the not other Wayne. three, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, not Wayne, yeah, or uh, the other guy from Sorry, Married uh, uh, What's his face, um, Austin Powers. So you know, it's just it's sad, and I remember him dying, and I still have the clipping from the paper. It was one of these things where when Mel Brook Mel Blank died um, around the same time, I want to say eighty nine ninety, right after he did Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which was like eighty seven eighty eight. Where like you have like a, uh, I think with Mel Blank the picture was like uh, there's a microphone with a microphone stand and there's a spotlight and no one's there and then all the, the all his characters are around it like you know shedding a tear, and then for Jim Henson's it was like there's a tombstone on a hill and then all the Muppets are around it kind of you know saw, you know crying yeah. and all that, uh, and I, it was it was horrible. I remember he died and, and then I think Sammy Davis Jr. died like two days later. And he piggybacked him, and I think it kind of like, you know, they always say they die in threes, and it was really sad yeah. when that happened. So uh, what do you think? What would you give the movie in ratings? I think it's a great example. I think it's a great sleepover movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Especially for, like, the young, like a younger generation. Yeah, I mean, yeah if you're yeah, girls, I'd eight, say nine, like, ten-year-olds. I'd say, like, eight to 12, great. Even for a boy, I think it would be a, yeah. it's a, it's a cool eight to 12 sleepover movie. I, myself, watching it as, you know... In my late thirties, have you ever seen it? I had seen it, but like I hadn't seen it in a long time, and, and it's you know it I, was never really a movie that. Uh, that's another thing we didn't talk about. We talked about our history with Henson, but specifically, it's another thing where, as much as I said to you that I love Henson and everything yeah, Henson yeah. did, I never saw this movie till we were freshmen. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. I saw that through a girl. You know, it was she showed it to me, and I was like, oh. And I don't think I saw it since. I saw it one other time with my wife, and then it's like, you know, it never was really. Much like, I guess, you know, like Legend or something like that. It's not never really appealed to me. Yeah, it was never, it was never a big thing for me. So that being said, I would go for me personally. Even though I think on the spectrum of sleepover movies, you could probably give this baby like a three or four. Yeah. For me personally, I would say uh, it's a two. It's a two buckets of pizza. Two buckets of pizza <laughs> movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, may, maybe even one. I mean, I didn't particularly love it. I like I said, it was a beautiful spectacle. I, I loved it from like a technical standpoint, but as like entertainment, I didn't find it. Uh, didn't really appeal to me all that much. Yeah, I do probably uh, probably three three out of five um, uh, sleepover stars because just I mean. I find the script forgivable just because it is the 80s and it's a kind of a kid's movie, but just that yeah, I don't visual. Know. You all, you're very forgiving. Yeah. You're always like, you know, it, you know it's uh, it's Disney. You got to forgive it. I was like, no, Disney, you should hold up to a higher spectrum. You're like when, when you were doing, you wanted me to Black watch. Black Hole. You wanted, when we did Black Hole, but you also wanted me to watch like this uh, Jonestown documentary. Uh, 
a long time ago and on I, PBS and I watched it and I was like, it wasn't that great. And you're like, well, what do you want? It's on PBS. I was like, no, PBS is where documentaries live. Yeah. This should be, I like, it's a fascinating <coughs> subject, but as a film, I didn't think it was that great. You're like, well, what do you want? You know, you're very forgiving in that way. Yeah. I mean, I hold things up to a very you high do, standard. You do. You do. I, I like that, that Jonestown documentary quite a bit. Actually. I own that. Uh, yeah. The whole black hole thing is a whole other animal. I think they just got ahead of themselves because they were, they were worried about the special effects and they're like, what about the script? Don't worry about it. You know, but in this situation, uh, but like I said, I, find it, it, I think as a kid's movie, like you don't, that does that kind of the shit that I have wrong with it is not something I would have had wrong with it when I was late. So it's very successful. Well, see, I also way. think it falls into the realm of the eighties of like, you know, eighties movies. A lot of them just because, you know, whatever reason, great 80s you movies, know, though. I know, but there's a lot of shitty great eighties movies that people still there's hold a to a high, movies of every decade, you know, <laughs> that people still hide to hold to a great extent and people still call classics. I'm like, well, it's not really, you know, it's not really a good movie, but people love it anyway. Well, that's you know? the nostalgia thing. I think that's the big yeah. thing here is like, you know, like I said, you see this when you're, as you, I think if you were a woman and you watch this now for the first time, it was you certainly wouldn't have the fondness for it of the of the of the no, of the, wi- of the women that have been have had it in their life their entire you know and it's it, life. it's and a nostalgia it, thing and that's what the, the that's what Saturday Night Movie Slipper is all, all about. about yeah and certainly you know Bowie's dated with his makeup and the, how he looks because that was the, the the glam metal of the time and the glam yeah, yeah you know so that you know and. and it's hard to find a movie that's good, that's timeless, that'll still hold up. That in this arena of yeah. of children's, you know, because I, I don't, I couldn't tell you last time I saw like say Never Ending Story or, you yeah. know, so how, who, you know, they may hold up in other regards, but do they hold up say visually or? Oh yeah, know, I mean this movie is, you know, so it, it's it just, really is a kind of a, a, it's an amazing feat yeah. what they pull off in this you movie, know? and then it still holds up, like and as said. well as the. It's which is good is that the, the performances hold up, you yeah. know. You know, Connolly, it's she's very good, and, and Bowie for what he's doing in it, singing, dancing to Muppets. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's it's a solid, rock solid performance. I've, uh, you know, you know, obviously she's very young in this movie, but ever since 1991's Career Opportunities, yeah, followed by Rocketeer, yeah, I've always had a huge crush. Oh, who doesn't? <laughs> you know, she's absolutely it. gorgeous. I mean, she's grown up to be, you know, she's still absolutely, you know. Stunning, and then if she's in person, if she's anything like they, you know, they they say in this movie, you know, uh, hopefully she still is very nice. You know, that it's it's you know, it's amazing. So, uh, uh, any recommendations? I think you named a bunch of really great ones. Yeah, and I had I thought about it, Return to Oz, I think would be a great one. But the recommendation I'm going to pick is going in a in a very different direction. I'm going with the Jennifer Connelly thing. Okay. Which I'm going to pick a, the Dario Argento movie I learned oh, okay. earlier, which is 1985. There's something you shouldn't be showing to children. <laughs> so this is not a kid's sleepover. Yeah, yeah. This is if you're an adult and you're going down memory lane with Labyrinth and you're like, what other weird fucking Jennifer Connelly movies are there? It's called Phenomena. Dun, 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 dun. It, it's uh, uh, Dario Argento, 1985, released in America, edited. Uh, with a title called Creepers. Isn't what's his face in it too? Uh, Donald Pleasance is in it. He's a uh, real intense role. Um, I can't even get into like really, all you have to know is that she can control insects. Jennifer Connelly. Yeah, yeah. Jennifer Connelly's character can control insects, but it's a weird murder mystery. And Pleasance, <laughs> isn't he the, he's the scientist that's like. He's like a, he's a weird, weird wheelchair bound scientist, like forensic scientist. Yeah. No, not, I won't say forensic, like oh, insects. Yeah, insects, you know. Insect scientist. And there's a lot, but there's a lot of how it gets introduced 
is that uh, which, is, which is very real science, which yeah. is there's a murder and they're trying to figure out when the murder happened. So you date it by and the so insects. the pupa of the of the maggots. Um, yeah, because nowadays in forensic science you can date say a body if you know there's there's things called the body farms that they have. Um, you know I don't know where they are in in the country, but they have these huge acres of farms where they just have cadavers that have been donated and they leave them out. And it's just a big research facility for for people who are becoming f- forensic scientists, so they can go and check it yeah. out in different situations, like you're saying. So yeah. They so they go to they go to Donald Pleasant to try to figure out when it's dated, and he figures out like the it happened around here because of the mag the the pupa of the fly pupa in there, the maggots, the, 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 the growth process. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's a really bizarre movie. And I and what year is eighty five? So this yeah. is before. So how old is she? She's got to be like 12, 13. And she look a lot like this, or she look older in this movie? She looks older in this movie, but not a ton older. Yeah. But you can tell that this is that Labyrinth was definitely after this. It's a very bizarre movie. It has one of my favorite things of all time in it that I don't want to spoil, but uh, I don't think it's highly regarded, in as highly regarded in Argento's catalog as a lot of his other movies, but it's just it's so strange and odd, and I, I just... I it love. is a crazy movie. <laughs> it's so weird. And for me, personally, <laughs> I, I, f- I tend to feel like it's one of his last good movies, because he kind of hit that cusp in the 80s, into the late 80s. I mean, he, I guess, like, trauma and Senhol Syndrome are kind of good, but he, I, I, yeah, I yeah. kind of categorize this one, or this is still in the time frame of like Suspiria and yeah. uh, what's the he has a period there where he does like Phenomenon and then he produces the Demons movies and Opera are all around this circling around this period yeah. and then this is like considered to like that's like the end of his great period although I f- my personal opinion he made a few good really great movies after that he made a lot of stinkers after that yeah. too but I mean that happens with a whole bunch of that we say that all the time with that's directors. what it is man and you know what you can't really fault him as much as you want to slag off say George Romero for putting out or Carpenter putting out stinkers nowadays. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, it's very rare that you're able to put, you know, hit after hit after hit after yeah, hit yeah. out, especially when you hit a, a nerve with, say, Halloween or Night of the Living Dead, if you're able to put out, you know. Interesting score, too, in that this is a period where Argento started to do a lot of compilation scores, where it wasn't like one person scored it. It would be like a piece of music by this person, a piece of music by that person, and then a bunch of, like, rock songs, which is the idea of like the soundtrack, you know, which is a very popular thing. And, um, but in Italy, he kind of pioneered that idea of putting like rock songs into the movie and then being able to sell that as a soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Claudio Simonetti does the main theme. Who's from Goblin, Fabio Pignatelli and Simonetti do some, some stuff under the the name Goblin on it too. It's a, it's a great score, really interesting movie. If you're going to go with like the nostalgic kid sleepover, it's I would go with something closer to <laughs> Return to Oz. That's even that's even teetering the line of I know it's you know it's screwed up, but I feel like that's it's forgiving. That's a good and I remember it's a good combination. Do you remember for the ad campaign of that that they actually I think they had something to do with McDonald's or something? I feel like <laughs> they could have you maybe know, glasses you, or something. Yeah, because you remember like the Happy Meals. Because remember that she makes the the thing in the attic and she puts dust on it and it can fly away. I feel like Hat and the Big Pumpkin Guy all were like part of some sort of ad campaign. That's another thing I like to say about Labyrinth was when she got into the Labyrinth, I love how everything was covered like in glitter yeah, and it had yeah. that kind of like like very texturous kind of a feel and mm-hmm. look. So, um, yeah, I'm, I guess my recommendation, I mean, 
all the movies we talked about here that are all in the same arena are definitely worth seeing. If you hadn't seen it's Never Ending Story, the original, and yeah, fucking yeah. Legend, and uh, uh, certainly Time Bandits, and you know, and uh, oh, any of those would be great you know, companions. Even even um, uh, the other one that people love, um, which we said before, the uh, Princess, Bride, Princess Bride, which is not as heavy into, but it's yeah, it's, it's a in the same realm kind of story, but fantasy, you know, kind of thing. I guess I would say stay with Jim Henson. A lot of people haven't seen that storytellers. And those that the season, the two seasons he did of those storytellers are a lot darker than he usually is. It's not dark in the sense of Argento, but it's yeah, certainly yeah. like, you know, he's doing straight up fairy tales, the traditional ones that are kind of like, you know, there's demons in it, and there's freaking yeah, death yeah. shows up. There's a lot of early um, famous people like Sean Bean shows up. We said John Hurt, uh, you know, Michael Gamm is in it, but there's a lot of cameos of famous people doing, like, I think, uh, what's Ray Fiennes' brother? Joseph, yeah, yeah jo- he shows up in one of them. The fine, one of the fine shows up. So you have a lot of like, oh, look who it is, you know. So I, I would recommend that they're available on DVD, and I'm sure they're on YouTube. If you haven't seen them, uh, you know, they're like I think 15 minutes a piece, maybe. You know, they might be two an episode, you yeah. know, half hour episodes. I would recommend that, you know, because uh, you know Henson is best known for the Muppet Show and the Muppets, but he did some other really cool stuff like we're trying to, you know, illuminate today, and. We hope, you know, the, the the ladies like this one. This is a shout-out. Yeah, this you know. episode ended up being a little bit all over the place. Yeah, but, <laughs> but this is this is trying to pay our love to what we do for, you know, what we do here at Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, as well as, um, you know, we're trying to sh- uh, th- throw out some love to, to, to the ladies, and this is coinciding with us doing a season opener of something. We've gotten a lot field. of recommendations from guys. Yeah. I would be interested to s- for someone, so, yeah, for, s- for, for one of our, from our, one of our, if we have any female listeners, yeah. uh, uh, or maybe people from our Facebook page, you know, <laughs> to, to send us a private messages through the Facebook page, uh, and give us some recommendations. We're yeah. not girls, so you know, we're not going to know what to pick. <laughs> you don't know, know what to pick. Like I said, I was all for doing like a John Hughes movie. Yeah. I think this was a great choice though, because there's obviously a lot of shitload to talk about. It's got a 30th anniversary, David Boy's birthday just happened. Yeah, you know, it's where we're hitting it. It's it's the, it's kicking off much like last year when we kicked off 2015 with Transformers, the cartoon movie. This is the same thing. We're we're getting out of our realm, not of our realm of comfortability, but we're doing something we might not usually do. Yeah, you know, we're trying to show that we we have and our the hand in everything. Thing is such a big thing for you, so it's yeah. good to have that. Henson's discussion. great, you know. Uh, yeah, and you know it's 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 a uh, it's a movie that people love. So uh, you know, it's all about, that's what we're all about, man. Nostalgia, yeah. bringing it bringing it all back home. Uh, speaking of home, we could we could be found at uh um uh, you know we have a Twitter, we have a Facebook page. Uh, we've realized some people on our Facebook page don't even realize that we have a podcast. <laughs> and I guess people who are listening, we're not even getting to the people who are on the Facebook page. So if you're listening, thank you very much. Tell a friend, uh, you know, like us. Check out our Facebook page if you don't if you don't know about it. Check out our homepage that we have. Saturday Night Movie Sleepover is our site because we um, we do a lot of stuff there. We're gonna put links to some of these things we talked about today. Yeah, a lot of that stuff you may you'll not be only able be able to, see. to see those links if you yeah. go to our our homepage. Yeah, like the guy, the microphone the guy Saturday has. You know, com. Um, you can find us on iTunes. We're on uh, Player FM. We're on Stitcher. We're on Podbay. I think we may be on uh, Podroid too. Um, we're on Twitter. We're at Sat Sleepovers on Twitter. Drop us a line, retweet us. Uh, like we said, Facebook, come on down and you know leave us a message, like us, or write us a review. Maybe on one of these sites. Oh yeah, the reviews you are know? a big deal. We yeah, appreciate it if we, you could. Yeah, we love a star value. Like one out, of how, how many star? Five stars, one out of whatever. How many stars you think, and uh, then a review because that ends up 
higher we go, the more visual we become on the list for like iTunes. You yeah. Know? So if we can get like really good ratings, then it be, be you know we can get other people might be able to see us that don't know about our show. Yet. Yeah. So it's so, a big deal. And we love to thank the listeners who we have already. This this of course you know this big we've got this community on Facebook of listeners and and people who who are checking us out and then and we have a, a very much on Facebook interacting with people sending us recommendations or commenting on or the just pictures sending us stories yeah or, own, yeah crazy stories know, we're hearing we'll you know? sit here and we we'll tell you about our relationship to a movie sometimes we'll do a podcast and then somebody else will yeah try like, oh, oh I remember. first saw I first saw this movie and then we um, get to hear you know, their stories I mean which is great yeah people even you know. Send in pictures of them doing their bucket of pizza. <laughs> we've, had a, we've had a picture of a bucket that somebody sent me. I'm doing the bucket of pizza, too. We're like, that's great. <laughs> picture of a bucket of pizza. Somebody sent me a picture of a local video store. I wanted to make that like a new segment on the Facebook page. Yeah, if, if, if there's any video stores that's around you, you know, that kind of goes with our theme that are still in business or maybe they're not in business anymore, but the, the building's still there. You know, <laughs> it looks like a video store. Send us a picture. We'll put it up. You know, and if you like, like uh, Blake said, if you have any recommendations, recommendations you know, or fan films or fan films, yeah, that's I, I'm, I'm curious. Getting back to we're, anybody we're doing a, this has cast. anybody done a labyrinth fan film? Oh, that'd, that'd be crazy! Like you know, yeah, the you know they did the manga. And uh, don't the, send us links to stuff. You, know, you can send us a link to something you didn't do that you think is cool. But I'm really curious to see if there's anybody out there that's that's actually done made one. I'd like to see theirs too. Or a freaking Henson, you know? Yeah, or, I mean, anything. It could be Batman. I don't you know, care. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just interested with that. Yeah. I like to see. I like to see the creativity of a Steamboat Willie fan film. You know, like, wow, who would have thought? So, <laughs> thank you very much for listening. Uh, next two weeks from today, we've got another we're, to plug. Not to give it away, but we're doing a big, big old fun, fun movie for us. We're um, we're, we're you know, uh, for people who don't know, uh, and I think this is also girls are into this too. X Files is coming out. X Files on on Fox is doing a nice six parter after what twenty years or ten yeah, years yeah. of being off the air. They're doing so to coincide with that. We're doing a, a surprise uh, little movie. Um, I don't know if we should give any hints away about what it is, but it's something I guess some uh, people may not know. I, yeah, there's a very good chance that a lot of you don't know what we're doing, yeah. <laughs> what it is. Oh, well, of course, because we're not saying it. You're not going <laughs> to well, know. But, uh, but I mean, once we say it, that maybe a lot of you haven't seen it, which yeah. is always risky. Yeah. Well, I will say is the reason why we're we're doing it because of that, but it's not X Files. Yeah, it's not X Files, but it's it's kind of where X Files you can you can trace X Files back. It's not to, I have to think of as the original X Files. Yeah, source, you know. And also, we wanted to highlight that phenomenon in the '70s, the '80s of television movies, you know. And this yeah. is this we is, haven't done a television movie in a while. And this is the this is we said, oh, let's do this. We did the Perfect. TV pilot. They've all been superhero related. Yeah. The TV pilot for the Flash. We did a Hulk trial. The Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Did we do any other TV movies? We might not have. We didn't do, yeah. So this is going to be a TV movie. And this is like the mother of all TV movies. Because when this came and out, this like set the... find out why. Yeah, this set like the bar. Next episode. Yeah, so check us out, okay? And tell a friend about us and, uh, you know, check, like I said, our website out. Check us out on Facebook. Check us out everywhere you want and, you know. Spread the word. Yeah, get the word out Have in the street. Have a sleepover. Yeah, for Christ's sakes, because you know, one of these <laughs> days we're gonna, if we get enough listeners together, we're gonna, we're gonna try to have our own sleepover. We're gonna, do a, we're gonna do a public, sleepover. a mass sleep. Yeah, it's much like we're talking about Jonestown. We're gonna do a mass sleepover. <laughs> no Kool Aid drinking. No Kool Aid, just jolt. But it's 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 B Y O S. Uh, bring your own sleeping bag. I guess it's B Y O S. That would be awesome to do a sleepover. You know, we read it out like a movie theater, or how about an auditorium? Like you watched movies all night. Yeah, and I talked about them in between. That'd be weird. Anyway, a uncomfortable. The future. Yeah. The future. All right. Thank you very much for listening. Happy 2016, and we'll we'll see you in two weeks. Later.